Are you a Hall of Famer? I wrestle with that question. I, I don't know what it is anymore. Because if it's based off one individual um, accomplishments, yes. Now's the time to celebrate. That's right. Football's here to kick off football's 101st season. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all users a no-brainer to start the season. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head to the App Store now because you won't want to miss this. For Texans Chiefs, this Thursday night, to start things off, DraftKings has moved the spread to Kansas City plus 101. That's 101 points for all users. That's a big-time no-brainer. You would hope. Uh, then DraftKings is also giving away up to $100 million in prizes to all users who enter their free football survivor pool. What I'm trying to tell you here is that DraftKings can make you some money this fall. Um, so head over there, check it out. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code GREENLIGHT to take advantage of this no-brainer of an offer. That's promo code GREENLIGHT to get in on all of the action. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Uh, I'm your host, Chris Long. This is the Greenlight Pod, and we are down the home stretch on these division previews. I've enjoyed doing them, but they are tiring. I need a bye week. But the bad news, or the good news, depending on how you look at it, is football starts this week. And uh, i got to be honest, I'm actually pretty excited about it, even though the workload's going to w- go way up. We've got this division preview today, and that's going to be the NFC West and the AFC West. I have Mina Kimes joining me in a moment to talk about um, both divisions and breaking news around the league. She's always great. She's a Seattle fan. Uh, and then after that, got one of my old teammates to talk about the NFC West and, you know, just football in general and his career. It's Steven Jackson, uh, one of my all-time favorites. And if you played in St. Louis, if you pulled for St. Louis during his tenure there, you know that he was a, a man-child and thrived in the most dysfunctional setting, uh, one of the most dysfunctional settings. I see bad teams now. You know, you think Jacksonville's bad? Try some of those teams we were on. And uh, Steven's going to talk to us about, you know, kind of that experience, his legacy, what he sees in the NFC West this year, the outlook as far as the Rams are concerned, and then also being like an ambassador in Vegas because he grew up in Vegas. Um, Some of y'all might not have known that. And ended up in St. Louis by way of Oregon State, Corvallis. Uh, But, you know, with the Raiders moving to Vegas, he's been kind of one of those, I mean, he's probably, I'd have to look to see pro football players that grew up in Vegas and still call Vegas home. He's the guy, key to the city there. It's not a bad city to have the key to, and uh, he has kind of helped facilitate some of the NFL's foray into Vegas. We'll ask him about that as well. So, just a reminder, this season, uh, I don't know if this is a reminder, it's the first time I'm telling you, we're gonna be doing a lot. We're gonna be doing a Monday show, a Monday green light, and a Friday green light. So, coming off the weekend, going into the weekend, 
Uh, that's going to be fun. Also, we're doing green light gambling with DraftKings. Uh, that's also going to be a Friday. I do that with Stanford Steve. And, uh, you know, a real quick blurb about what I'm doing on Mondays. Last year, I did The Ringer with uh, Ryan Rosillo, who's a buddy of mine. And um, it's one of the, the best NBA guys that makes it really easily digestible. I mean, that guy watched more basketball than anybody. And I often lean on him, you know, throughout this process to talk about you know, NBA stuff and kind of helped me learn being a full-time fan, a media member. I've also leaned on him very obviously as, as far as podcasting in general goes. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a learned skill. It's like a process. You don't just turn on the mic and Im improve naturally. You need not just the reps, but you need guidance. You need somebody to give you the tough love sometimes and tell you what you're doing wrong or tell you what you're doing right. And Last fall, I got to sit there with a, a friend, a longtime friend, um, and get shown the ropes over the course of an NFL season. And there were times where I absolutely sucked. And there were times where I was really good. And there were times in between. But what I always knew was that I had like coaching from Ryan and also just like kind of picking up his habits and, and the things he, he does. I mean, he's terrific at podcasting and I appreciate that experience. We're not gonna be doing it this Monday, as he um, as he talked about, as we talked about on his podcast uh, yesterday. I got to go on his show, and at the end, he kind of told folks that were wondering what um, we had been talking about, trying to work out all summer, which was our Monday, respectively, this fall, this season. Monday is a big day for you know a podcast if it's football centric. And certainly it's great to have that day under the umbrella of green light because it's hard to do two pods in a day. If I wake up and do the pod with Ryan, I can't give you all a green light pod in a timely fashion. And I'll be burnt out and my takes will be used. But that wasn't why um, we're not doing it. We're, we're not doing it because it, it, there were some there were some money issues that didn't make sense, not contract issues, sponsorship type issues. And that's the complication of being in, I don't know, I don't want to call it show business, podcast business. And we knew that would probably happen. So eventually, whether it was this year, or the next year, I just appreciate Ryan Rosillo um, kind of showing me the ropes and, and continuing to be somebody that I can lean on as far as like, hey, how do I frame this? How do I interview better? How do I, like, I'm always trying to improve. I hate the sound of my voice. You know, we'll edit every night and, and these guys will tell you that there's segments where like, I fucking hate that. And, and my producers will probably tell you that I'm, I'm crazy or paranoid, but you're constantly trying to improve, and last fall was such a great learning experience for me working alongside Ryan. So if you don't hear us on Mondays, it's not because we decided that we didn't want to do it anymore. It's just because it just didn't work out because of some technicalities as far as uh, some of the sponsorships and that sort of thing go. So still, you're going to see me uh, making appearances there. You're going to hear me make appearances there, whether you like it or not. <laughs> that's, that's in the books that me and Ryan are going to collaborate on his Monday show and he's going to come on my show to talk about the NBA and the NFL sometimes. So we'll piecemeal some appearances together. Uh, but if you don't hear us on Monday, it's not because we don't fucking like each other. Love Ryan and uh, appreciate all his, his guidance. So this fall, Monday, Friday, green light gambling show Friday. And this is the last division preview. Stay tuned for Friday as we pull this thing together uh, and do some league wide analysis and talk about the big picture uh, coming off that NFL opener, which is crazy, it's tomorrow. So 
Uh, without further ado, let's get into the NFC West and the AFC West with Mina Kimes. Let's get popping. Let's get it popping. I think it's let's get it popping. Which get it popping. I think you do. You lose cool points as you turn thirty-five. We have a birthday here. Happy birthday, Mina Kimes. Can you lose something you never had? I think is <laughs> correct. The, what's popping is. I mean, there's so many phrases I try to never say. Lit, um, lit would be one uh, for me. Lit, lit's tough. My Laura Rutledge, who I adore, who's the host of NFL Live, dropped a big truss. No, she didn't. Uh, talking about Baltimore, and then instantly the regret flashed across her face. Did you see you it? Could see, yeah, <laughs> she's great. She and she was funny about it, but I, I, I was just like, this is I can never say that. There's well, just so many things. She seems like you know she could get herself out of that that situation. That's that that moment of dread when you say something like big trust on live TV, and you realize as it rolls off your tongue that it's probably not in your wheelhouse. Not there's very few contemporary sayings in my wheelhouse what's something that like makes you feel old generally yeah um hmm. when people call oh, another this is similar to the thing i can't say I, I still feel uncomfortable and i say this one i still feel uncomfortable calling outfits fits like <laughs> sick fit of the day yeah, you know or yeah. sick fit and yeah. i and i say it because i think you know, when like Trey Wingo saying it, you're like, All right, I gotta, I gotta yeah. dip my toe into uh -huh. these waters, but it never sounds right coming off my tongue. I would, I mean, I would never do drip. Yeah, never. no, 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 never. drip. I've done it as a joke on my IG caption, but the problem is with my humor, I worry that sometimes some of my followers don't realize that I'm being totally fucking sarcastic. Mm. And IG is a tough venue for that too. Yeah, it is. I, I, a lot of drip talk. You know, drip talk, hashtag drip talk. You know what it is um, that makes me feel old is when I say, Oh man, I gotta do a pod during that game. I'll, let me TiVo it, and like younger people are like, TiVo, what is that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm th really dating myself here. But you, TiVo. you're my age. We're both welcome to the 35 Club. I mean, like 35 is not so bad. Where are you on people forgetting your birthday? I do not care I at all. I don't care at all. It's like um, I don't care. It's like. You know how some people really care about who goes to their wedding or doesn't? I just, yeah, yeah. I don't, I, I don't even remember yeah. who is there. That's kind of how I feel about my birthday. I, I truly don't care. I just, it's a golden rule thing for me because I, I have this theory, this take that um, it's kind of callous, but I think that being born is the easiest thing you do in your entire <laughs> life. It takes zero effort. <laughs> what you should do on your birthday is call your mom. Like, that's it. I mean, so I, I, I don't, and say thank you, or you know, like call, you no. know, talk, talk to your parents. But I, I'm not worried about other people's birthdays, nor should they worry about mine. It's so. uh, it's participation trophy culture it at is. its worst. It's the participation. <laughs> what do you want a trophy for being born? Our staff society teaches yeah. children from day one. Yeah, really, they don't have to do anything. All they gotta do is just show up and live just and breathe and air. Live. Come on and drink clean I water. I don't want shit for my birthday. Yeah, I didn't do no. anything. I didn't earn this. As you drink a spindrift, I should oh. I should remind everybody we've had this influencer um, <sighs> feud. Me and Mina, I. I shouted out flow water and the next thing you know, there was um, like a crate, like a crate that would come over on one of those cargo ships full of flow water. I'm still drinking that flow water from a month ago. I am perfectly alkalized. <laughs> and you've been trying to get the spindrift uh, plug for a while and they just keep ignoring mm. you. 
I'm just swiping right over and over on Spindrift and getting no love back. <laughs> I, I did get some free Spindrifts like a month ago. Oh, good. And, but I, yeah, but I think this was when we did our pod, but I continue to shout them out. I thought I could get some kind of relationship going, you know, where. <laughs> I mean, didn't you DM yeah. them and they left it on red? Uh, I, I did like a Instagram story. Yeah. I've done a couple, uh, honestly, like five about how, how much I love Spindrift and I, and I, and nothing, nothing. Yeah. Ugh. Well, my allegiances are up for grabs. Yeah. Now. Could, could La, LaCroix enter the picture? No, no, no. no, no, no that's totally. disgusting. Yeah. No, that, that, that shit is just harsh. The big news today, on your birthday, mm. uh, there were two big pieces of news today. There was Odell, and then there was... <laughs> no, there's just Odell. Uh, which, <laughs> I didn't know what to think. I saw you posted something about Dan Orlovsky texting you. Did you see the news on Odell? He asked me, why is Odell trending? <laughs> you don't want to know. You don't and I don't want to explain it no. more than not wanting to know. Just Google, folks. Um, the other big news is Jersey Swaps. Tide Laundry is sponsoring the male Jersey Swap. So the NFL, who's said it's not safe to swap sweaty mm -hmm. jerseys, uh, even though you've just played against each other for three hours in close quarters <laughs> on a football field, has found a way to wet the beak and has entered a partnership with Tide to send jerseys <laughs> through the mail uh, today, which is really cute. I was going to ask you if you could swap like a sport coat with somebody in the media at 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 mid set, who would it be? Somebody that's not your friend, but you've always admired and been like, I would love to have X anchor or X analyst sport coat on the wall. Chris Collinsworth quarter zip. Wow, you know, the classic quarter zip that yeah. So it's not sport coat, but <laughs> no. to me, that's an iconic piece of American sportswear. Where does he get that at Van Heusen? <laughs> Uh, Rochester, I don't know, Big but the first time I, when I started at ESPN uh, in 2014, my first day on campus, I was convinced they were just issuing them because every dude there is like, you know, a white guy in his forties, mm -hmm. not every dude there, but every yeah. dude who is that demographic wears the same. But virtually every dude was a white 40 year old male. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they, they, they all wear these quarter zips and they're not, it's not even like ESPN. Yeah, yeah, like there's no. um, North Face in the mix, yeah. uh, some REI store brand, IZOD. I can't do uh, the IZOD. That just screams I've given up. I feel like I couldn't pull one off, so I don't own any. Has but, anybody pulled uh, off a quarter zip? I mean, we're kind of doing the Chris Collinsworth thing, but it's it's like Peyton. Peyton. Yeah, because I, I feel like he just leans into it and he doesn't care. He does the thing where it wears like a quarter zip over a button down shirt. Ooh, layering. Too. I can't do mm. layering. I physically can't do layering. Graphic t-shirt, cut sweat shorts every day. Yeah. My lovely wife, Meg, she's seen enough of it. But I think if I tried to dress up and I went quarter zip, she'd probably kick me out of the house. I, I, I just don't get it. How do you wear it? Do you zip it to the top? Do you, do you zip no, it? No, no. Never to the top. Okay, I don't know. You've seen Chris Collinsworth on TV? I have, but I'm more focused on the slide. You know, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not really focused on the... I mean, now that you're saying it, it's it's fairly apparent to me that he's worn the quarter zip every day to work for his entire adult life. Um, yeah, that's that's the news today. There wasn't anything big. We can get to the, the DeAndre Hopkins stuff. Of course, that's in division, but Mina's here. She's the first person I thought of when you're thinking about the West. I mean... 
She's one of the most famous Seattle Seahawks fans in the world, and uh, she, she nerds out on the NFC West with regularity, so I thought we would get into that and the AFC West. But let's start with your, uh, your favorite team. And okay. I, I guess the question that when I'm on NFL Twitter, the most intellectual fan base is the Seahawks fan base, yeah? Really? Would, would wow, they're, they're going to cut a drop of you saying that. It's going to go into like a Cable Thanos video. I don't oh, know if you've seen those. Yeah. No, that's, they would love that. There, there are a very, um, it, it's very analytically inclined, yes. which means they're angry often with the Seahawks. And judgy. They're judgy people. Very judgy. Very judgy people. Uh, what, like, I can't tell what y'all's relationship with Pete Carroll. Like, yeah. Is that a complicated thing or is it as simple as, hey, man, get with the times i think there's a vocal minority of people who are very frustrated with uh some of the things he does combination of the play calling being so run focused when you know you've got a quarterback who's one of the best passers in the nfl uh, and also when analytics tell us not to run on early downs as much and that kind of thing and then uh some of the game management stuff and i think on the play calling uh sometimes the nerd Twitter takes it too far, I think, with the running stuff and, yeah. and with Seattle in particular for various complicated reasons. But I think they're right about the game management. But he, that's always been an issue with him. I mean, you remember yeah. in St. Louis going up against Seattle. Uh, so, but, you know, there's also some recognition that he's still an incredible coach, incredible facilitator of culture, incredible right. program builder. He's obviously beloved by his players and I think the question is like, is he successful? Is Russell Wilson the reason for his success over the last few years or is it the two of them? It's, I mean, I think Pete's got the culture side down. You see this when players leave and how they fit or don't fit in the next culture. You're like, how did he deal with all these personalities that have, <laughs> you know, had their moments when they left and how, have, how has he dealt with all those stars in the locker room? And if we're being honest, I did this with the Saints the other day when we did the NFC South. I forget who I asked. It was somebody knowledgeable. I asked them uh, if the Saints are a blue blood team in the NFL. And I, I don't think you can call them a blue blood team. I think they've kind of, because of their quarterback and because of winning that ring, they're thought of that way. But if you look back, mm -hmm. they've had years where they've missed the playoffs. They've had a lot of nine and seven years. Culturally, the Up Seahawks and, and offensively, I mean, it's not even close. Sean Payton and Pete Carroll, that's not even Pete Carroll's thing, really. Like, Pete has managed to, despite all those schematic issues that people get fed up on, like, have them in the playoffs every year. And, and you have to ask yourself, is it Russ that's winning them nine games all by himself? Or is it a com combination of, of the culture and Russ? I would err uh, on the side of it being both. They've actually done a pretty good job also of drafting and signing talent on the offensive side of the football. Um, you know, most recently DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett was not a first round draft pick either. Uh, Chris Carson was a seventh round pick. Yes. Um, the offensive line, you know, it has never been great. I think they improved a bit last year after sort of going away from being such a pure when, when Tom Cable was the coach and they were you know, running ZBS there, but Russell Wilson sort of negates the offensive line's importance and also makes their life harder. So it's always been difficult to really judge them. Uh, but this is people talk about this offense like they were dog shit. They were the fifth most efficient offense in football last year. I just think if they passed a little bit more on early downs yeah, in the first half, like just a little bit more. And this is 
arguably the best group of skill players that Wilson's ever played with. It so has, it has to be mm-hmm. right. Um, I mean, they're, they're they're pretty objectively they're kind of stacked at wide out, and especially if the wild card in the whole group pulls it together and Josh Gordon. I like them to win the West. Uh, spoiler Ooh. alert at the top of, of the show here. I know it's music to your ears. Um, but I guess in the same vein, though, they've been in the playoffs seven of eight years. They've been in divisional round six of eight. They haven't made uh, the championship game five years in a row. Does that say something negative about them? Should they be docked for constantly being there? Or should we be happy they've been there? I think, first of all, it's very hard to make it back year after year, yeah. right? Um and there are, you can, every year you can point to sort of a reason why something that went wrong. I mean, for, you know, I said, I think people are too hard on Pete Carroll generally as a play caller, but a couple years ago when they played Dallas in the wild card round, was it the wild card round. Yeah, it was a wild card round and just insisted on running over and over into stack boxes all day. Like that was on Pete to me. That yeah. was a very frustrating day but other years it's been the defense or just injuries at the end of the season um and yeah people there's this like narrative that frustrates me about how they had to dismantle that defense because they paid russell wilson that's total bullshit half the guys got injured in the boom you know chris cliff averill got injured uh earl thomas they lost cam chancellor had to retire early shit happens in football you know that like it's very hard especially with elite defenses in particular versus offenses, it's very hard to sustain a high-level play year after year. And they basically punted on pass rush, I'm sure you're aware. I, um, I am your boy. Punted. I be a reserve pass rusher for the right. <laughs> like a Josh McCown-style Zoom yeah. pass rusher. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, if you can get it. Um, yeah, well, 12 grand seems a little bit, I mean, come on. You know, I need a little bit more than that. <laughs> Um, impart some of that wisdom uh, to uh, Bruce Irvin <laughs> and Benson Mayo. Uh, you know, it, their defense is really interesting this year because last year uh, they, this was another thing that drove nerd Twitter crazy. They played a ton of bass in a time when nobody in the NFL does that, right? Um, the funny thing was, if you actually dug into the numbers, they were actually much better defending the pass when they were in base than when they were in sub packages. And that explains why they played base because their personnel dictated it. Right. Um, It hurt Bobby Wagner who had to play more coverage than any linebacker should in 2020. But this year they now have uh, Jamal Adams, arguably one of the best safeties in the NFL. So I'm curious to see how that changes their scheme, uh, how that changes, whether they blitz more, this is not a heavy blitzing team and how they compensate for the lack of pass rush. It's got to, um, I actually think it's interesting that they've. Well, I, first, I should ask you then: Do you feel better about the Jordan Brooks thing, or were you part of the angry? Torch, it's another thing Alexi were angry about. <laughs> I saw the they do pick. a lot of things. Yeah, uh, I was, they do things, and I was sitting there watching draft, and it was so benign. I was like, oh, I kind of like this kid, and then like I'd log on, and it's like, what are they doing? You know, yeah. I'm going to quit being a Seattle Seahawks fan. It makes no sense. This is 1960. Do you feel any better, yeah. better about that or worse about that than draft day? Well, I think he's a good player. Um, I just, it's frustrating given the timeline of this team. Cause on one hand they're out here trading the world for Jamal Adams, which suggests they're in win now mode. Right. Yeah. Uh, but then on the other hand, they're drafting clearly for talent, not need. Again, I think he's very talented, but they don't need right. 
uh, uh, you know, a off ball linebacker right now. So it, it was yeah. a little bit confusing to me from that perspective. It's also not one of those positions that I think of traditionally as like when we were in St. Louis, we just drafted D lineman over and over again, you know, thinking we could affect the game by rotating fresh bodies and getting to the passer. But linebacker is not a position, a base linebacker is in a position where you just, hey, the more you got, the better, you know, like. Nope. So I, I get that part of it, but as far as the Jamal thing goes, the interesting debate, and Seattle is kind of right in the middle of it right now, is it pass rush or coverage? If Mina Kimes is building a football team and you can have, you know, the San Francisco front um, and dog shit behind it, or <laughs> New England's 2019 back seven and nothing in front of it, what are you, what are you choosing? I'm choosing coverage so, uh, yeah. and damn, you really are in touch with the nerd conversation on football. Yeah. I had no idea you were yeah. um, because, and I, so I like team, I like defenses that are built back to front right now. Yeah. I think it's uh, easier to scheme up a pass rush these days than it is to, you know, ask a bad cornerback to cover. So I, I, I don't hate what Seattle's doing. I just wish they had, one more piece up front. I mean, it's really, really bleak, the lack of pass rush. I might have some good news for you in the superlatives, uh, at least from, okay. from a D lineman's perspective. But I I think that, you know, I was really worried when I thought you weren't going to be able to pump in crowd noise, like at a, at a level that's realistic based on your stadium. Seattle, again, is used to pumping in crowd noise every year. This is going to be just like another <laughs> another year for them. So... I think that those rushers will be just fine. I, I, I'm really excited about that back seven. Again, talent on offense. Um, and, you know, the defensive backfield is great now with the addition of Jamal Adams. So I think there's a lot to love. I like them to win the West. What is it going to take for Russ to win an MVP or, like, to get a vote? <sighs> MVP is stupid. Like most awards in football, yeah, it's just such a product of like timing, narrative, how your team is. Because mm -hmm. people are really upset that Russ has never gotten a single vote, but typically one guy gets most of the votes anyways. Right, and right. candidly, like I love Russell Wilson. Like I would, if he tore his Achilles, I would rip mine out and give it to him if medical science made that, you know, work. That could but, be like a cool E60. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh God. Uh, but <laughs> Mina Kimes said on the Chris Long podcast, so here she is at like Mount Sinai. Um, so on the record, if Russell Wilson gets hurt at any point over the next half decade, if it's a ligament, ACL, I know you don't maybe have like, to donate it. Maybe anything. like a finger okay. thing. Okay, okay, maybe a finger thing. Or let me rephrase that. If we were on a safari together mm. and a hyena came at him, I would throw my body in front of his. That is noble. Yeah. Wow, you are a real Seattle Seahawks fan. Thank and you. by the way, I read the LA Times article today, oh. which was which was wonderful. I I hate it when people write articles about me. They don't do it as much as they do about you, but like I hate like profiles cuz I'm like this just feels so self-aggrandizing. But yours came across really good. I haven't read it. Oh, well that's good too. I mean, I'm I'm kind of I kind of do the same thing. You said something in there that was awesome. Fandom is passion. Homerism is saying things that aren't true. Um, well, here's how you know I'm not an idiot homer. I, I do not have Seattle winning the division. Wow. Okay. Is, is Seattle the 
if the, there's ends of that spectrum out west, whether it's in the NFC West or fuck it, let's say the AFC West as well, mm-hmm. is Seattle on the the fandom side of that spectrum, and who would be on the homerism side of that spectrum out west? For me? No, I mean just thinking about fan bases. Oh, oh God. I I mean all fan bases are terrible. There's no good fan base except for maybe maybe Detroit. I've decided and Atlanta and the Eagles fan base. Have you been on the internet? Have you been on the internet? (laughs) The internet sucks. Internet fan bases suck. Like the Patriots online community is awful. The Patriots Patriots fans you meet in person are awesome. They get completely brought down by the the that's true. Oh, it's bad. I love Lions Twitter because whenever you praise the Lions, they get so angry. Like, like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I that's it. Michigan, though. It's just Michigan. They just they're they're just uh, more cynical up there. And then you know, couple that with the fact of the whole team history thing. Who's got the worst and the best NFL Twitter? Then, in your opinion? Okay, so the best are the Falcons and the Lions. I love the uh, Falcons. I, I love the Falcons. They're so I love I love they're them. so realistic. Um, the worst, and I'm not going to name teams, but. Well, it's the, the Patriots are up there. And then the other worst fan bases are the ones where the fan bases think their young quarterback is good, even though he's not. Oh so a couple years ago, that was Chicago. I can't even oh tell you boy. how many tweets I used to get from people being like, how dare you, you know, say Mitch Trubisky is not the truth. Yeah. And, you know, when I would go on Chicago radio and now you can guess who that I'm not going to say what teams they are, but that is, I've noticed a quality of oh. very bad Twitter fans. Well, you can figure out who that subliminal is aimed at. But I now the Chicago fans, you have to be like, they go from, don't talk about our Mitchell to, hey guys, maybe stop camping outside his house. Like it's just football. <laughs> like how do you go from that in three, four years? It, that's the, the reality of playing in a big market. Um, San Francisco, whose fan base to me is kind of ambiguous. They're all over the country. I don't even know what to make of San Francisco yeah. 49 fans. In the world, really. But yeah, they really do have great regional reach. Uh, if Jimmy G regresses this year, fill in that blank. They will not win the division. Well, no. I think... I, it's the, I, but what happens to the team? <laughs> what happens to Jimmy G? Uh, okay, let me redo that sentence. If Jimmy G, G regresses this year, Richard Sherman starts subtweeting him by week eight. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> uh, I love it. I love Richard Sherman, by the way. He's like my favorite. A lot of C- Seahawks fans really turned on him, and I, I think he's really? like a. Um. Well, you know, he he went hard, pretty hard on Seattle. I he, think he also went pretty hard for Seattle, and yeah. like I just, I, well, you, well, you got the right attitude. It's just you've seen that um, Twitter joke. I never thought the face eating tigers would eat my face. Yeah. You know, that's how I feel about <laughs> yeah. Richard Sherman. It's like you guys, this guy was a WWE heel the minute he came into the NFL. Like he's the same yeah. guy. Yeah, I he's mean, he's amazing. You, the thing you don't realize is you can go hard in an organization and still love the fans. I mean, you yeah. could, you can, you can not speak to your former GM, hate your former coach, want to kill, you know, your former teammates when you see them on Sundays. But, you know, the, that, that's no reflection on the fans. So if you're a Niners fan and you're listening, I, I think give Sherman another chance. He's the well, man. They right? all had to, like, no, about face. Yeah, if you're a Seattle <laughs> fan, yeah. yeah. Um, which departure hurts them the most? The, the most? Mm. Um, 
I think people are underrating the Buckner loss, which is would seem to be the obvious one because you know he's extremely good. But he was always he's always kind of like to me one of those your favorite football player fo- favorite football player kind of guys. I think uh, he's been so consistently good since he came into the NFL, and he's sort of a force multiplier on the defensive line. Where I think there's this perception, oh, they're so deep. And, you know, when they with drafting Bosa as well, yeah. and, oh, we got Javon Kinlaw, we're going to be fine. No, you're, you're, the best case scenario for Javon Kinlaw is DeForest Buckner. Yeah. Okay. I and mean, that probably isn't early yeah. the way no. I look at it. And I love Kinlaw as far as upside's concerned, but it's, it's going to be a second. I mean, he, he's got to work on getting his base wider, you know, not getting knocked over so much. Buckner's been like when we were prepping for New England. Uh, or for Atlanta when I was with New England um, down there at the Super Bowl, I remember just watching because we had cross tape on the Fal- on the Niners playing the Falcons, and I just fell in love with watching this kid. And I've ever since it's been when I watch a Niners game, uh, I couldn't wait to see what he was doing. And he is the catalyst, as you mentioned. You know, the you're mistaking depth for yeah. There's some good players, but there are, as you put it, multipliers. And I think the big unknown. You answered the question just how I would have answered it. The big unknown is how that D-line's D going to operate with a, a secondary that people have questions about, especially the corners right now, um, yeah. if we're being fair. Uh, and you lose a major force inside who's who makes everybody better around him. I agree. Yeah, the secondary benefited a great deal from you know, what was going on up front? Like there's this kind of perception, Oh, Emmanuel Mosley, he was good at the end, you know, and, and he, we made the mistake of playing a killer witherspoon for so long, but he's going to come in and we'll be fine. Well, there's a reason why he didn't play a lot of this year. Like they didn't think he was the number two guy. And yeah. I, like, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, great defenses. It, it's very hard to sustain that level of play, do you, you know, do year you, to year on defense. Do you think that they regress this year at all? I mean, could they win the division and, and regress? Yeah, that's yeah. kind of what I think is going to happen. Yeah. I mean, they're so banged up too at pass catchers, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's that's one thing. When you, when your question mark is, is your quarterback, is he good or really good, and you want him to be the latter, like you can't limp into the season at wide out on a year where it's weird. It's like you're coming off a Super Bowl because of the way some of those throws went and because of the narrative around Jimmy. It feels like it's kind of a, not a make or break year for him, but it's a big year. I mean, he doesn't have a ton of leash for a guy that just played in the Super Bowl. They're not going to start 8-0. Yeah. You know, so they could win the division. I agree with you. Um, but I do think they'll regress. I agree. And you're, you're spot on about Jimmy, by the way. Like, we're coming up a season in which statistically he was excellent. Mm-hmm. But I actually think his stock has fallen, yeah. weirdly. Uh, and it, it's crazy how much, like, a fourth quarter of a Super Bowl can influence people's opinions. But he... His contract, like they can move on from him at any point yes, right now, the yes. way they structured it. All the yeah. Niners contracts are like structured like this. So it, it might be a little bit dramatic to call it like a make or break year for him, but it is yeah, avoiding, not outside the realm of possibility yeah, that Shanahan avo- would want to move on. Avoiding being sensationalist, it's just, um, it's going to be an important year for him. And are you a Jimmy guy? Um, like generally, where do you? I'm a Jimmy guy. I play with Jimmy. I like Jimmy, but. A lot of the a lot of the question isn't whether I like Jimmy or Jimmy's a starting quarterback in the NFL. It's like, is this a guy who's going to maximize this window that is right. wide open for this team? And by the time you know, it might be too late. Um, and so I, you know, I, I certainly 
they're not my pick to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl this year. You know, um, another spoiler alert, which is hustling backwards um, because I'm, I'm supposed to have this big show this Friday that's supposed to reveal all this stuff. So here you go. Um, Bleep it out. Yeah. Um, do the cards leapfrog the Rams? I don't think so. I understand all the Cardinals buzz. I think the offense is going to be awesome. We could talk about why, but I just top to bottom. I don't think this defense is very good. I know people are really excited about Isaiah Simmons. I'd be excited too, based on what we saw in college, but there's so many holes, man. Like that D line is not great. And Simmons is kind of one of those players where you do question, well, we'll see how he's used, which is a, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think he could have a bit of an adjustment period. And then um, the secondary also full of question marks and holes. Like I love Buda Baker, but you know, he's not really giving you that center fielder. Uh, no one is on that roster. Peterson was down last season. I like Byron Murphy out of Washington, but he struggled last year. So I just don't think they're there yet. I think it's one of the most exciting. Well, maybe they are the most exciting non-contender in the league because it's undeniable that if you turn on a Cardinals game this year, there's something to watch at every level. Uh, you know, whether it's Kyler, whether it's those three wideouts who are really good in their own rights, uh, and we'll get to D Hop's contract situation in a minute. But you know, Chandler Jones, who you mentioned, there hasn't been a lot around him, and he's just put up like outer space numbers, and that's. You've got Buda Baker in the secondary. You've got you can keep an eye on Simmons. They'll be fun to watch. I can't think of another quote unquote bad team that will be hmm. so fun to watch this year. That's a good way to put it. They're like a league pass team. Yeah, they were for me last year, man. Like I, I watched almost every Kyler. I would go back on Mondays or Tuesdays or whatnot and just watch Kyler's drives out of curiosity. And he was really like, there's a lot of heat around him right now for good reason, but mm-hmm. he was pretty inconsistent. Last year, like sometimes like electric, electric. I I think I said on NFL live today, he hits singles and home runs and like not a lot in between, which you're hoping Hopkins. That's what Hopkins will do. Yeah, that's exactly what Hopkins will do, because that the intermediate stuff is what what's missing for them. And, you know, I really do believe that this is a guy that can move the chains for you. Um, Larry's not Larry, but he's still pretty damn good. And the other kid is uh, is explosive. So I listen they're going to be fun. They're going to be, they're not going to be a contender, uh, but you know, we will watch them. They make your league pass worth it. D hop negotiating his own contract. Is that worth it? Did he negotiate his own contract? I didn't know that. (laughs) I didn't see that. I can't tell how you just, you were like, did he negotiate that? No, no, I I haven't. Okay. So I haven't, uh, looked at the contract in depth on its face. It looked pretty reasonable to me for Arizona. Um, I, in fact, so reasonable that you kind of wonder why Houston couldn't get something done. I love D hop. Yeah. He's one of my favorite players I've ever profiled. Like he's just a total mensch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No doubt about he's it. A great, great dude. He um, strikes me as a guy that yeah. can play any position mentality wise. That's why I like him. Yeah. You know, like in totally. the pre Madonna era of wideouts, um, he's the guy that just puts his head down and works and kicks people's asses. And you've got to love him. I, I just don't know where I stand on the. I could have never negotiated my own contract. No chance. Just get too stressed about. I mean, you get a lawyer to like look, but yeah, there's so always I, like, oh, did I leave something on the table? And I mean, they're mixed. Like the guys, 
Didn't Laramie Tunsil negotiate his own contract? I know Okung did. Okung did. Bobby did. Uh, Bobby did. And then obviously Richard Sherman did as well. It's a mixed bag. Some of them were good. Some of them were bad. There's no like. It's almost like it just depends on who the player is. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to love watching them. I I think they personally, I think they could leapfrog the Rams. Um, I do. I really worry about the Rams. You know, we we talk about, and I'm going to talk about them with Steven Jackson in a few, but that O-line was so serviceable. I won't say like dominant because they were never dominant. I think that's a misconception about them. Really? Yeah, I, I, you never play the Rams O-line and be like, how am I going to beat this guy? Or man, they're, they're just... You don't think in 2018 mm-mm. they were dominant? I think they were functional. I think... I think they were very functional, like a dominant O-line, an O-line that you play that you're like, oh shit, buckle up, that the scheme isn't driving it. It's those yeah. guys is like Dallas, you know, or, or, or Philly. The Rams in 2018 were very good, very productive, very solid, led by Whitworth, all that good stuff. Roger Saffel was a big loss for them last year, but they were never like a scary unit. I wouldn't put them in the echelon of Philly or, or Dallas. I think that's fair. Cause yeah. I mean, in 18, when that offense was such a juggernaut, they weren't bullying guys. With the exception of Whitworth, who you'd sometimes see like five yards downfield, like on a screen, you know, for the most part, defense just had no, no idea what the hell was going on. Yeah. Constantly with that offense that year on first and second down. And obviously they used a ton of play action and then they figured it out this yeah. year often. And, and well, so yeah. you're probably right about the O-line. So that's what I worry about. I mean, you look back at 2018 and you've got Gurley rolling, uh, which it didn't look that way last year. And obviously he's in Atlanta now. And in turn, you know, golf gets rolling. All those big chunk plays come off of that zone scheme. And if it's not run, especially interior blocking, when you ask guys that, that play the position, they say, if guards can't run that scheme efficiently, it's going to be really hard for you. So I think it was the perfect storm for them in 2018. And now I'm seeing a team that has not rectified that problem up front. And I don't know where the expectation is that they're going to just turn it back on. I, I really see like a, a 500 type team here. I think the hope is, so the offensive line, they, they didn't add anyone, right? They're, yeah. they're counting on guys to just improve. And they had to, they had a ton of injuries last year and all their, Aaron Cromer, their offensive line coach, yeah. he cross-trains them all at every... He's a good coach. And they were mixing it up. Yeah, so... Yeah. And then Rob Havenstein had this weird bad season. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. It's, That was confusing. I think the hope is just that, like, internally they can get better. But um, you also saw flashes last year as McVay. He, it's not like he sat on his hands and did nothing. Like, no. he changed that offense as it went along. I think there's kind of a misconception. Oh, Sean McVay's figured out. Like, you saw... Um, them actually not only running uh, outside zone at the end of the season, a lot more duo, a yeah. lot more t- uh, two tight end sets, which they had a ton of success with. Yeah. So I, I'm kind of curious to see the next iteration of Whoa. the Rams offense. Like I'm buying the Sean McVay stock. I, I buy his stock. I just don't know how much the deck is stacked against him up front where some of the moves yeah. they've made have handcuffed them as far as fixing the problem now. And so I think it's safe to say that the two teams at the top of the NFC West are cemented in place and the other two are just going to vie for third place, which could mean a playoff spot with the way things are. I think the if you look at the Cardinals schedule out of the gate, they could be one of those teams that that could fool you this year into thinking, 
oh damn, the Cardinals are four yeah. and one, or like, you know, there's that team every year. You know, there's one of those teams, and it could be the Cardinals this year. AFC West, because I don't want to, you know, the golly, I could NFC West we took naturally way more time, but AFC West. At what point in time last year did you know that the Chiefs were a Super Bowl team? Because I felt like they played chicken with their reputation, like yeah. right down to the end last year. What was the game where Mahomes, it was in the snow towards the end of the year? Got this isn't know. when I knew, I, I, I think I, I didn't have them win the Super Bowl before, before the season, but I was high on them. But there was a game where Mahomes, when he came back from injury, and I think it was when they were snow, when I hit me that he was all the way back. I mean, that's what's what's terrifying about this Chiefs team is like even Mahomes is beyond the two games he missed. He was banged up for like a fair amount of the season and wasn't even fully healthy, I think, until the playoffs. And the defense sucked for most of the year. And then they became a strength, you know, you know, so I think they're better this year, um, which is scary. There's so many variables, but. You know, if the if Vegas says eleven wins is is the over under for them or twelve wins, I, I this is a twelve thirteen win team again, unless they screw it up or somebody gets hurt. And then you add a guy like Clyde Edwards Edwards Hilaire, who your boy got in his fantasy draft right off the bat. The hype <laughs> around this kid, and again being a multiplier, you talk about being a multiplier, yeah. like he could be a multiplier right away. You know, okay, the way I think about Ch it. Is it, we're doing that, C-E-H? Is that, C-E-H, I don't know, we are now. Yeah. It's an awkward one. It doesn't roll off the tongue. I like, know, I know, but Clyde is hilarious so long. Like at, like MPJ and some of the like. The, right, yeah. yeah it's it, by the mm, way, that yeah. dog last night was just insane. Uh, but I, like C-E-H doesn't sound great. Doesn't, I think it doesn't work. play better yeah. than it sounds. <laughs> um, so the thing about him, I, I liked him in college and it made sense, but... To me, the utility gives this offense. Like, here's the thing. The Chiefs proved last year you don't have to have a running game or a run defense, it turns out, to win in 2020. It just doesn't matter, right? Um, But the thing about Mahomes is, like, when you start trying to puzzle ways to stop him, which is a fun and impossible mental exercise, um, and you just look for, okay, well, maybe he was, like, a little bit worse than this, so, like teams had some success playing man against him. Some of that was when, cause he was hurt, you know, and right. when he's mobile, it's yeah. you really don't want to don't play man do against that. him. Don't turn your back. But, or like the pets, you know, a couple years ago, some of the disguise coverages and blitzing schemes they use had some efficacy against a rookie quarterback, yeah. but you can't do any of that shit when CH is on the field. Like you can't play man. Cause if he's on a linebacker, you're done. Yeah. Right. So he just adds, another element to that offense that makes it even more impossible to come up with a solution. They used to find ways, I felt like, when we played New Orleans, and the brilliant ones do, to get one of us on Darren Sproles. You know, I can remember (laughs) I had to run with Sproles on a wheel route, and I'm laughing the entire time down the field. (laughs) I'm just like, what am I doing here? I'm yelling at Darren Sproles, what the fuck am I doing trailing you and thank god he didn't throw him the ball but that's what brilliant offensive uh, offensive minds do is they make mismatches and there's going to be plenty to have in kansas city who like is this the is this the conference with the biggest delta between like the one and two like is it just yeah because baltimore after them those the steelers and browns could be good yeah I think after the Chiefs, you got a whole lot of maybe, yeah, like maybe wild card teams. I don't think any of them suck, but so none who, of them are so like. Who's two? I know you've you've done a lot of deep diving on the Broncos. Are they are they your two? 
Uh, yeah, I'm le- I, I'm leaning I, after the Derwin injury. I'll put I'll put Denver there. And they're you, all pretty close. What's your Drew Lock read? So I did go back and watch uh, three Drew Lock games from last year, and I'm not sure I learned a lot because yeah. the defenses suck so much. Mm. He's the stuff you knew from college. He's athletic. He has an incredible arm. Yeah. Um, you didn't really see him use it that much yeah. in those games. He really didn't. What well, he just wasn't asked to do a lot because um, he didn't have to, frankly. Yeah. He was more poised than I think I would have feared, potentially. But I think we're going to find out pretty quickly um, whether or not he's actually good because he's in a, put in an incredible situation, Denver. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the, there's not going to be. Listen, and I think the defense. I can't wait to watch Chubb play. I mean, healthy yeah. again. I God, I love that guy's game in a, in a a region out west as we're breaking these things down where you're thinking about who the best defensive players are. There's so many in the NFC West that you forget about Bobby Wagner as you go team to team because Jamal Adams is stealing his thunder for a second. But like Chubb should be right in there, I think, this year as far as all these great players are concerned. He might end up being the best edge guy out of all the guys in the AFC or NFC West. I, yeah. Oh, more than I, Bosa. You like him more than Bosa. I do. I do. I do. I like, and we end up. I end up in this situation all the time where, or either Bosa. Yeah. No, I. I. Ooh, Chubb's just a bully. Yeah. <laughs> Chubb's just a bully. You know those the like he's just a he just runs. Hey, Joey's through. more com- complete though. Joey's the most complete player out of those mm-hmm. three guys. I don't want to spend too much time nerding out on D lineman. Is is uh. You know, as we're moving from Denver to the other cast of characters in in the AFC West, San Diego. How many weeks does Herbert sit? Uh, oh, in Angeles. LA, <laughs> uh, I give. I got to look at the schedule, but I, and certainly by the midpoint of the season, he'll play. Here's where he'll, they all are. They're here, all going to play. Here's where they, all, they always do. If you could play them, look at this schedule. Okay, I say week six. Okay, and they give have, me the teams. Here, here's who they play right off the bat. Chiefs, Bucks, Saints. Uh, after the Joe Burrow game uh, mm. Sunday, which we're all going to be glued to, it's going to be awesome to see Joe Burrow finally play, no matter what happens. They get the Chiefs, the Bucks, and the Saints. Then they get the Jets, the Dolphins, the Jags, the yeah, Raiders, feels, the Broncos right. before the Bills and the Pats. That feels you know, like gonna, great. Yeah, in the Saints, Tyrod, who I love, is going to have like a 150-yard game. The fan base is going to revolt, yeah. and yeah, that's going to be, fault. yeah. We thought you were going to be, you know, Tom Brady, but you turn out to be the same guy you've been lately. We got to get one question in uh, on the Raiders before we get to superlatives real quick. It's just so Raiders fans aren't like, what the fuck? But I 30, 30 minutes on the Seahawks and Niners. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not afraid. Okay, I'm not afraid of Raiders fans anymore unless they're the Oakland Raider fans like a Vegas Raider fan does not scare me so if they're tweeting at me or you know complaining I'm not really worried about it but what's their identity Mm. this year uh Raiders fans I think they hate Derek Carr uh I I get that impression (laughs) Derek Carr to me is like fascinating because statistically he's like a perfectly fine quarterback who was actually really efficient last year but fans hate quarterbacks who don't take risks and yeah. that's just embedded in his DNA. That the draft pick rugs perplexed me for that reason, unless perhaps they're already looking past Carr. Yeah. Um, you know, it's Gruden. He hates his quarterback. So I think this is an offense that 
could actually be pretty good, but I don't, I don't think this defense is going to be very good, man. No, no. Um, it's one of those things where, gosh, it's so exciting. That stadium looks amazing. I, you I think so? I hate new stadiums and I kind of like that stadium, although it kind of makes me nervous that it'll be dated relatively quick because they took a big chance. I can like, like a Roomba. I can't. <laughs> is that the vacuum? Yeah, like those circular. <laughs> that's what it looks like to me. You're like a disc man. It looks like something ominous. It's something that you crawl out of bed at 1220 p.m. and walk across the sky bridge hungover yeah. half drunk to join your corporate buddies and watch <laughs> A 35-31 game between the Raiders and some other <laughs> shitty team. Raiders fans hate Derek Carr. Speaking of ominous, it's just kind of but they love um, Max Crosby. I who, love who, Max who's, Crosby. Well, I was going to say, yeah, that go. feels a little on the nose. He's carrying your mantle yeah, as tattooed white yeah, pass rusher yeah, in the NFL, uh-huh. but he was fucking good last year. He was really good. And, and, and you know what? Oh, I could throw another hot take in here. Give me. Let me let me go through the. Uh, I don't want to do this because people are going to start thinking I'm like anti Nick Bosa. I I just think Max Crosby is going to have more sacks this year. That's crazy. Is it crazy? Nick Bosa. Yeah. Yeah. Who who's who's rushing the passer next to Max Crosby? Evidently, it didn't matter much last year. He put up numbers as a rookie on a terrible defense. He's going to be that, like half of his sacks in one game. I'd have he to did. go. I like, I like it. I like it. Yeah. Well, Bosa had three against the, against the Panthers. Um, that's the way Bosa it goes, also though. gets to play next to Eric Arms. You don't get Buckner anymore. Yeah. We'll see. We'll They're see. not going to have as many leads this year. I'm My, just saying, hear me out. Max Crosby is going to be a guy that you, 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 you go, gosh, I was looking for, for very, for get, very good reasons, I was fixated on Nick out of that class, but but Max deserves some love too, you know. Do you think if a white kid is born and named with two X's, there's anything he can do other than become an NFL player? I was gonna ask you, uh, Max Williams too, the tight end. I was gonna ask you. I am not a big fan of the name Max, nor am I a big fan of two X's, but maybe like uh, something aggressive, like a security guard. Um, <laughs> You know, it's definitely not going to be an account. Like, imagine you go to like H and R Block and it's Max with more, like that. That never happens. Yeah, it's um, it's not. It's a non-starter in the tech sector. I think. Like, <laughs> if you have, if your name is Max with two X's, you got no shot in Silicon Valley. <laughs> I hope his um. I don't know if his dad's name is Max with one X, but I've decided it is. And I hope he has a child and gives it three X. Yo, M- Max Crosby. Who is my guy, by the way? Shout out to Max Crosby. Sounds like you're good. I'm going to need that jersey from the Tide. I need it. I need Max Crosby to send me a Max Crosby jersey sponsored by Tide this year as you break the double digit mark and usurp young Nick Bosa as the most hyped guy out of that class. And when you have a kid, you heard it. Three X's. That's the way to go. So that's so our Raiders talk devolved into Max's with two X's, which tells you what we think is going to happen in, in Las Vegas this year. Um, let's do superlatives and get you out of here. Because I know your dog, as you described him, oh, is he's, a terrorist. He's not home. As a birthday gift to me, my husband took him to his studio today. It's been, it's been honestly heaven. I've never heard anybody just so openly hate their dog. Whoa, no, I love my dog. I would die for my dog, but he's the worst. <laughs> Let's compli- be clear. That's a complicated relationship. 
Um, he's the best. Best yeah. dog. No, I know it. It happens with with uh, with man's best friend, woman's best friend. Uh, my dogs during my bachelor party both got the runs at the same time and were shitting all <laughs> over the walls continually for three days. And you know, like wow. when you're on your when you're on your bachelor party, like the last thing you want to do is when you Facetime your wife, she's already mad because you're on your bachelor party. But when she's cleaning dog shit up from the walls at eye level, like it's a problem. And but I was, enough about Odell Beckham Jr. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, best or worst units. Let's do superlatives. Best unit uh, in in the West. And to be clear for people, mm. that's combining oh. the AFC and the NFC West. All right, uh, Chiefs offense. I went position groups. I'm getting. I got more. Oh, we're specific. getting. We're, yeah, I got more specific. Um, Diana did this to me too. She was like, "Well, what do you mean by unit?" You know, I was like, "All right, all right." Diana really, I I didn't like what Diana did on social media to you today either. That wasn't cool. Oh, it's calling me forty and posting an ugly picture of me. What you don't do that? I Wikipedia'd you because I was like, "There's no fucking way she's forty. She's forty. Well, the internet now believes that. Oh my god. Uh, I'm gonna go best unit. This is you'll like this Seahawks secondary. And, really? And, yeah, and I'm saying like when I say best mm. unit, I'm saying good unit, but I'm also saying one that's going to be very important. There's going to be so much on their shoulders, Pressure and I think them. that they can meet they can meet the uh, the standard that's going to be necessary for them to be a winning football team. I think that's good. I think that's a good one. Mm, I mean, what is it? Seahawks linebackers too. Which is yeah, that's an interesting a, way yeah. to build a team in 2020. Um, <laughs> there you go again. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Uh, definitely not the Raiders. Definitely not the Broncos. Oh, I love the Broncos wide receivers, but that doesn't feel right either. Um, <laughs> Chiefs quarterbacking group. <laughs> That's a good group, isn't it? And could you imagine if Matt Moore was still there? Is Matt Moore gone? He is gone. It's now, um, which he looked fine last year. Matt, in that's what I'm saying. If Matt Moore was there, it'd be uh, maybe the best unit in the, the it's league. It's now, oh, it's like one of those guys who's always on a team. It's one of those uh, guys. Well, it doesn't yeah. matter who it is. I, I, I'm good with the Chiefs quarterback Brock unit. something or The Adam worst something. unit. I already kind of answered this. I'm going to go Rams O-line. And that's not to say they're, they're the worst unit in out of those two divisions, but mm. on a team that might have high hopes like that's a as i described earlier it's a big hole the, here here it is uh super bowl year they had five starters to start at every game last year they had five different o-line combos and on first yeah. down they were atrocious running the football under four yards a pop which was 28th in the nfl so it could be worse for your seattle fan you could run the ball really poorly on first down uh the seattle d-line is pretty rough I might you do that to like okay. counter anyone who thinks I'm a homer. Yeah, there you go. So that's a that's a tough scene there in Seattle. But you know, the Raiders <laughs> secondary is also a pretty troubling group. It's troubling. I don't know. I, I kinda like Jonathan Abram. He it's, be troubling. Good. it's troubling. It's troubling. It's uh, troubling. I uh, I don't like to be mean and say, you know, bad. No, nah, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is just troubling. Uh Domino player, and this again is a guy that could be an under under the radar catalyst. Mm. This is a perfect segue. We didn't we didn't draw this up this way. You said, and I'm not counting Bruce Irvin as a DN uh, because he's a linebacker technically. A Leo there is he not? Um, I'm gonna go. Yes. Yeah, I'm gonna go Bruce Irvin because this is a guy that had eight and a half sacks last year in Carolina on a mediocre football team. That's his career high. And yeah. like I'm just saying, if you got the crowd noise piping in, one thing I always know about Bruce 
Irvin is, he's going to get off on the ball. I know Seahawks fans are going to roll their eyes at this, but you're going to need one guy to be up there. All you did was complain about Jadavian Clowney. He didn't have enough sacks. The guy wrecked games. Yeah. Okay, you want some sacks? Here's a guy who had four times as many. Are you happy now? Um, I also like the the kid from Tennessee that they drafted as well. Dale Taylor. So, yeah. That's my uh, one my important one of my important rookies. Oh, there you go. He's, he, he's a little banged up though, but I did I liked him in college too. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, pivotal player. I was trying to go super hipster. No, that's what we. Oh, the Bruce Irvin's Bruce Irvin's pretty. That's pretty. pretty that's, that's pretty, pretty hipster. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, God, you might you could go. Well, now save that for rookie. If Bruce well, Irvin has eight, ten sacks though this year, you're going to be very happy. I think Eric Armstead is actually pretty important yes, for that true. Niners mm-hmm. D line last year. I mean, we're coming off of like a one season, you know, where he broke out and they yeah. rewarded him for it, and I didn't love that personally. I. It's not it's 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 overly simplistic to say they chose him over Buckner because Buckner obviously costs more money. Um but I am dubious, shall we say, of his ability yeah. to replicate that. I like uh that. I, I, a really hipster one I came up with was Willie Gay Jr. in Kansas City. Wow. Um Mississippi State third round, I think, linebacker. Because I love that's him. a position yeah, so I like him a lot, yeah. and that's a position that they've been awful at. Yeah. Uh, defense. Yeah, when when you watched them last year, you're like, what are they doing at the second level? And yes, well, it, but it doesn't matter. It turns out, yeah. so yeah. I feel kind of stupid saying that. But um, but that kid had like what issues off the field? Otherwise, I think he there was, been, dude. He can play. Another rookie. I want to put this on the record before he goes off is the kid Edwards out of South Carolina, the wide receiver. Oh yeah, in in Oakland, that guy is gonna ball. I'm just. I'm just saying. Yeah, please. You think uh, Henry Ruggs all the way 30 yards downfield is getting the ball? Hell no. Nope. And that no exactly. it's, it's all Edwards. Edwards yeah. is going to get Edwards the ball. Edwards and Renfro, baby. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about most important rookies? Not necessarily the best. We already hit him. Uh, C-E-H, as they call him. Uh, I, I think we, we, we outlined why. Yeah. And Kinlaw, I think, is a fair one yeah. for the same reason we discussed. And Taylor, I mentioned um, as another guy who I think he's he's banged up to start the season, but he's someone yeah. who could become pretty important and impactful early I think on. He's going to be a good player. Sorry, dude. I'm going to go the Raiders. Period, because they're getting better. I think, but they share a division with Kansas City. And uh, let's face it, your quarterback isn't the guy that's going to unseat Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. So you're kind of in this weird purgatory area, and your schedule off the bat is tough. Um, you start with a wild card in Carolina, so you might say Carolina's bad, but it's petrifying to play a coach that you have no tape on and a quarterback that you have no tape on. Three new coordinators, uh, the Saints, the Pats, the Bills, the Chiefs, and the Bucks before they get to the Browns. So it could get ugly early for the Raiders. That's a good one. I did another coach. I did Anthony Weaver, who's the Texans defensive coordinator, who was, I believe, their D-line. He's an in-house guy. Um, There's just not a lot of talent on that defense. And so he he's gonna it's gonna be very challenging for him and it's not not gonna be his fault, um, you know, against some pretty high powered offenses. I'll just leave it at this. My breakout player is is uh is Max Crosby. I almost thought it was too easy because in my opinion he broke out last year, but the way you the way you laughed at me earlier, I guess that wasn't a breakout year. Oh, I didn't laugh because he was bad. I laughed because it was just like yeah, so, just so, on brand. so on brand. <laughs> it's like the when we Spider-Man. met at the, when we met at the Super Bowl, we never met before. By the way, the kid is huge. I mean, like really? he's I'm up to his shoulders, like damn near. I we we took a picture mm. together and I didn't share it because I was so small. I was like, Jesus. 
<laughs> but like, it's like we we made eye contact, and he was like, he was like, Dad, and I was like, Yes, son. I was like, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to think of that. Maybe when I met like Cassidy Hubbard. So like, I don't have an athlete that's having awesome. Shout out to Cassidy, um, killing it in the bubble. Mine is Noah Fant. So I, I should have mentioned this when I went back and watched those Drew Locke games. My big takeaway was Noah Fant's sick. Yeah. He, and early on, there were some games where he had some drops and didn't know what he's doing. And, and you know, playing tight end is very hard as a yeah. rookie in the NFL because yeah. all the things you're asked to do. But he really started, you saw him. Flat, honestly, I played TJ Hawkinson, his teammate at the end of the year. And based on what I saw at the end of last season, I'm super excited about him. Yeah, that's a good one. And a true sleeper breakout player. Um, hot seat. It's an easy one for me. You look at all the coaches around the division. Uh, Fangio is probably the one with the shortest leash, I guess. Really? I, it, it, well, I'm not making it Fangio, but it's funny how in these two divisions, like there's so much job security. Pete Carroll is not going anywhere for a while. Andy Reid, not going anywhere for a while. Age yeah. would get them before, you know, something else. John Gruden signed a lifetime contract. I mean, this these are the two divisions where there's so much stability at coach. Um, I'm not going to do a coach. I'm going to go Jared Goff. It's pretty obvious to me. You know, this year you've got to show that you can't be the everything's perfect quarterback. You know, you have to... You have to be able to color outside the lines a little bit, and uh, and this is a big year for him. Uh, I think Bill O'Brien's on the hot seat in oh, for sure. Houston. For sure, yeah. he's on the hot seat. Oh my God, you, we're doing AFC. But I love how confidently you were like, "Hey, I just got to tell you, I think that." Uh, like, why are you saying Bill O'Brien? No, but I was like, it was one of those things. Like, there's never a bad time to point out that Bill O'Brien's on the hot seat, is there? said Anthony Weaver. <laughs> you did. And I let you go. <laughs> I let you go. I've been thinking about the Texans so much because there's my <laughs> Okay. Yeah, Big Fangio, as far as the two divisions we're actually talking about, Big Fangio is the only one. I, I don't think they'll punish him if Drew Locke's not the guy or doesn't play super well. Um, I think Elway might be the one actually yeah. who, yeah. Oh, but that's my pick. John Elway. Yeah. You're on notice. John Elway is on notice. Damn. That's Call heavy. That's heavy. Yeah. Um, hot take. You start. Cause I, I kept trying to manufacture one. It's almost like I can't do it. I'm not good at the hot. Well, I wrote down a hot take and you totally nullified it with your Max Crosby insane take. Cause mine was going to be that Joey Bosa is significantly better than Nick Bosa and okay. people have, no, but, but you, now you dropped your take and now my take doesn't even look like lukewarm. No, see, like, I don't want to be that. Cause you know what I keep doing? And this is the problem. It's so funny. And I realized this in my one fall as a person in the media, how quickly people assign favoritism to you one way or another. Like it, you could have one take and it'll swing 180 degrees. Like you're biased the other way. When I played, people thought I hated Carson Wentz because I built a shrine to Nick Foles, a calendar oh, year I later. Yeah. I'm the biggest apologist for Nick Foles or for Carson Wentz in the world. I'm just a Carson Wentz. Like I'm on the payroll. I was pumping Nick Bosa up halfway through the season last year. So much. I was on Amazon prime last year on the pregame show. And I, I had a whole segment saying, don't pay attention to this guy's sack numbers. He's great, no matter what, because they weren't coming yet. Like, he was killing Villanueva in this game, who's a really good tackle against the Steelers. So I let me make this clear. I don't have anything against Nick Bosa. I think some people are like, it's political or, or something. 
you know, like I'm the lib guy. He's the MAGA. DM. I was thinking about that with Crosby too. I think he, they have very different, uh, well, politics, so. yeah. Well, I mean like my thing is if you can play, you can play. And I think at the end of the year, Crosby could have more sex than Bosa for sure. But I agree with your hot take and I've made it on Twitter and people look at me like I'm crazy. The day Joey Bosa signed that mega deal, they were like, mm. they paid the wrong Bosa. I'm like, you guys don't watch football, do you? Like, you really don't watch football. You just watch the primetime game and listen to the announcers. You do not watch Chargers games. He's good at everything, and he does it more often against double teams, by the way. I, actually, I can look that up. I'm not, I just shot Fuck that from it, the hip without, you know, I can check it. But we have, like, metrics that show you that. Um if you if they swap teams, the perceptions would be you know he plays for the Chargers. Like. Yeah, now I think Nick's going to be up around double digits again. He's amazing, um, but I think that Max Crosby's got a shot to to edge him out. That's all I'm saying. So pass rush hot takes. Uh, we got through all the superlatives on your birthday. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, go Seahawks. I hope so. I hope you're right. <laughs> all right, and on to Stephen Jackson, everybody. Legend to legend. So, as promised, as part of our uh, West preview, I got one of the NFC West goats with me, former teammate, uh, multiple-time pro bowler, 10,000-yard career rusher, uh, Steven Jackson. What's going on, Jack? Man, what's up, man? Not much this way. How you doing? I'm good, bro. Well, you're lying. You say there's not much going on this way. You're getting busy this fall. You were telling me you got some media stuff going this fall. And you got the Vegas Raiders moving back. And for those of you listening, Jack is a Vegas local, which I didn't even know existed, but there's people from Las Vegas that really grew up there. Uh, Jack, what are you doing this fall? Yeah, man. I mean, first off, you know, to all you people that visit Vegas, yeah, somebody <laughs> got to keep the lights on and keep the rooms clean. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> you guys just trash it up, you yeah. know. But, <laughs> but uh, on, on a serious note, um, this fall, I'm releasing a, uh, a a series where I'm highlighting the legends of the past in the NFL that we all grew up watching. Uh, some of us uh, maybe even mimic their style of play that was looking to play in the NFL. But it's uh, just a legend, an ode to the legends that I think sometimes are forgotten or, or just younger generations, sometimes talking to younger generations, just don't know. Don't know the history of, of the NFL or football in general. So working on those projects and then also have a live show that's coming up this fall. Um, haven't quite set myself on one day. It'd be either Sunday nights or Monday evenings going into leading into Monday night football. But it'd be a live show. Just chopping it up with my fans, talking about the week recap, um, social things, what's going on, pop culture things. And, uh, you know, maybe even a drink or two, you know. Yeah, I'm sure like, there might be a drink or two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Meet up at the Ritz and have it, you know, discuss what just happened. Yeah, well, we used to always meet up at the Ritz at the Cigar Bar. Shout out to the Cigar Bar down there in St. Louis. That used to be our spot. And later on, when we get to the mailbag, there was a question about what were our favorite spots in St. Louis. So we'll hold that fully. Vegas, um, obviously, you got the Death Star there, which looks beautiful. This stadium looks unbelievable. And it's kind of a weird situation because... As I mentioned, like not a lot of dudes are from Vegas. I don't mean that disparagingly. I know there's probably some great players I never heard of that were from Vegas or I didn't put two and two together. You're one of those guys that like you still call it home. You grew up there. You're proud of the place. So you've been kind of like a, an ambassador, but you never played for the Raiders. What's that been like kind of kind of hyping this up, but not having a history with the team and rooting for them to do well? 
it's weird, right? It's kind of like we're shadow boxing each other, right? Because the Raiders organization, as you know very well, they're insulated and they don't like yeah. a lot of outsiders. Nah. But, you know, me being born and raised here and being uh, on the tip of the spear of football in the, in the city, um, you know, me working as an ambassador and helping as the Raiders come into town, learn the way uh, the way the culture is here, uh, help them network amongst themselves um, and just the broader community. It's been fun, but it's one that it's, uh, it's, it's a dual task because the Raiders, um, they're very proudful of doing things the Raiders way. And they see me as a, uh, as a Ram. <laughs> more yeah. than a Raider. So yeah. it's funny, man. It's funny, but all in all this, uh, it's been fun to work with interesting to learn how other people do things and how they honor their legends, uh, which is dope as hell. I think they do a really good job of, of that with the Raiders. Um, but outside of that, man, it's funny to just see, go to a local grocery store, go to like Seven Eleven, and see people rock, rocking Raiders stuff. Um, that didn't happen growing up. Everybody had a little bit of everything. Everybody rocked different teams. But now to see the city unified between the Raiders and the Golden Knights, uh, we're turning it into a for real little uh, major hub here. Yeah, dude, the Knights, <laughs> man. The Knights do it big. And if the Raiders can duplicate that on a football level, it's going to be crazy. I know it's going to be weird, like, with the stadium opening up relatively empty and we'll see how those guidelines progress through the through the fall. But what does the fan base look like? Is it mostly corporate dudes from out of town or is it like it, you, what you're saying? There's a real local contingency. So that's funny, right? So the Golden Knights, they tapped in and they got they got the uh, the actual local base behind them, the small, you know, small business owner, the, the individual fans and families. Uh, but the NFL, it's going to be interesting because the stadium is beautiful. And you'd hope that, you know, they don't get corporate taxed out. And, and but, you know, dollars and cents around here, man. Slot yeah, machine, cash rules so, everything around yeah, Las Vegas. Man, so. so it's going to be interesting to see if the Raiders actually have a true black hole like they did in Oakland. Or does it become a Pro Bowl style where the fan base is visiting uh, and take over the stadium? Yeah, they get that walkway. You can just walk right across the, the I guess, the freeway or whatever y'all would call it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, people are going to be, you know, just struggling out of their rooms for these. Because, uh, <laughs> I mean, you could wake up and be at the game 30 minutes later. Yeah, and, uh, it's a West Coast game, right? So, yeah. I mean, West Coast team, so typically it's going to be a 1 o'clock kickoff. So, yeah, you definitely could struggle. you waking up at 1230. Yeah, getting the yeah. IV, you know, like getting those IVs that guys get. I've gotten plenty of IVs in, in Vegas in my hotel room. <laughs> do, you, do you believe in that shit? Like when they wheel in the IV, you pay like $300, I whisper. No, nah, growing up here, you know, you learn early. You know, you, you, drink your, you drink your drink straight and you chase it with water. <laughs> yeah. You got to keep your eye on the ball, man. Does that count for <laughs> bottles of champagne to the face? <laughs> <laughs> that's a ratio of water you take at that point okay I don't know. Right. but i think that's a I, slope. I think it'll be like i think it'll be fun i i I'm certainly i miss i'll miss seeing the black hole i think that's one of the the most unfortunate um collateral damage pieces of this thing is losing that real organic fan base but have they in your opinion done enough i know it's hard to do because you are kind of boxing out a really passionate old fan base have they done enough to engage those oakland folks or those cali folks and say hey we're a southwest flight away yeah they have they've done a really good job and they're also even with camp in the future they're talking about maybe doing something up north northern nevada which would be closer to the napa open yeah, area yeah, yeah. to keep that fan base uh, engaged so they have done a great job of that in my opinion looking on the outside and then as far as the local fan base as you asked earlier um vegas is excited we've always wanted a team to cheer for 
and not just having to put in, you know, um, to go down to a local casino at the sports book and see who's winning each and every Sunday, but to actually have a team to follow, have a couple of guys maybe follow their careers and see how they develop through the draft on uh, will be really good for the city, but allow us to, you know, spread out and not just be so gaming driven. What does excite you about this Vegas team this year? To be honest with you, I would, what really was going to excite me just to see the fan base in Allegiant Stadium, right? I yeah. wanted to see what was that look, what would that look like? Yeah. I'm not going to be able to see that this year. So this, I would say going to the football field and just seeing how the young guys uh, adapt to the culture here in Vegas. Do you try to burn the candle on both ends or do you mm-hmm. go out and execute? Outside of New York, man, in Miami, this yeah, city. Yeah, I mean, you're going to start, you're going to get free agents based off of just wanting to come play in Vegas. I think Vegas will be a big destination. I wonder, though, this fall what the strip looks like because when you talk about COVID, it's a hell of a year to like start this thing off. I mean, you're there in Vegas right now. You drive down the strip. Does it still look like a ghost town or is that thing heating up? It's starting to heat up, but it's Labor Day weekend, right? So yeah. um, I would say this. If I, had to, if I had to bring a team to Las Vegas, I would want to bring them now where it's quiet. Yeah. If they go go party, they go party right now. It's dead. And maybe they get it out their system. Um, I mean, cause it's inevitable. Those young guys are going to, they got to, they're going to live it up a little bit. So if this is the year to do it, do so. And that's why I'm interested to see how they handle that yeah. because if they, out, if they go out on Sunday and perform, they're going to be okay going forward. But if they can't handle the adjustment of the new city and the bright lights, they're in trouble. Yeah, they certainly are. It'll be an interesting test case for them because you think about different teams. We talked about this on the pod before, like, you know, this, you played, you were up in Foxborough, you know what that's like. Uh, I played there for a year too. Um, that's not a place I worry about outbreaks. You know, you're an hour outside the city. You're afraid of Bill. Uh, you know, Vegas is different. Miami's different. Good luck, especially on teams where like, and we've been on these teams too, where they've taken a dive by week four or week six. Good luck selling a young player who just got a million dollars in his bank account on staying home every Sunday night. The actual team that you played for the Rams, now of Los Angeles, formerly of St. Louis, formerly of Los Angeles before that. They got a new stadium. It's pretty sweet. Uh, I never asked you this, because you've been kind of an ambassador there too, right? You've done some things in LA, which is, it's only natural. Your roots were in St. Louis. You played there a long time. I've grappled with this as well as a former player, and me getting cut simplified things as they were moving. Did you ever have an internal struggle as you decided to retire or ram, you know, the fact that they're in LA and the way that might make some people in St. Louis feel, because I've kind of gone through this thing in my head, like, how do I view my former team? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I didn't retire Ram right away. I just retired three years ago. I mean, well, I retired three years ago, but officially as a Ram last year. Right. And in that, that part of that delay was, um, I would say not only the move to LA, but also the people in the organization because everybody in the organization wasn't there that are there in LA. Right. So, uh, the people I was tied to the people that I, I had roots with, you know, like Donna, Miss Donna's the head coach secretary. Right. Yeah. I had, I had seven head coaches there, but Miss Donna was the same. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, the like, secretary oh, was there the whole time. You know what Jim, I'm Jimmy Lake was there the whole time. Exactly. Shout out to the equipment guys. Shout out to some of the trainers. It's just exactly. like, yeah. yeah. So to that point, yes, I, I, I grapple with retiring as a Ram because they wasn't there, not so much the city. Yeah. The reason I say that is, Chris, is because 
when I first got to St. Louis, I had this, this, this switch of guards between me and Marshall. Right. And the Midwest didn't quite know what to get out of a dreadlock tattoo guy. Right. <laughs> they didn't know what to expect. <laughs> yeah. So my reception to the area, it was more, I had to prove myself to them. Yeah. And once, um, once they realized I wasn't what they thought I was, then they grew to love me. People called me crazy late in my career, and you got your, your chances in, you know, to, to be a part, in, a part of winning cultures late in your career as well. There was still always a part of me that felt sad that I didn't finish my career with one team, I, I, which sounds fucking crazy because I got lucky enough to win a couple Super Bowls. And I, I, uh, sometimes I said, you know what? If I'd have played 12 years in St. Louis or made the move to L.A. and always worn the horns, that would have been really special to me. Did you struggle with that towards the end of your career and being like, man, I'm like a, a Rams lifer, but I'm playing some other places that just are strange? Yeah, I mean, those last three years, you know, nine in St. Louis, three other places. Um, when I didn't win at all, I felt like, why did I leave? I, that bothered me because I was like, yo, I'd rather did 12 in St. Louis and stung it up all 12 years yeah. than to then chase something that I never actually got and never would, I felt received like I was in St. Louis. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I definitely, to your point, I definitely grapple with it. You look at the Rams and they're doing this kind of running back by committee thing. You're an old NFL guy, you know, like you were that bruiser. I mean, you could do a bunch of other stuff, but you know, you were punching people in the mouth and you were a feature back. You look at the Rams now, they let Todd go. Uh, Todd's in Atlanta. They're doing this by committee thing. Are you a fan of the by, by committee thing? Or do you look at that kind of spitefully because of your career experiences? Like, nah, fuck that. You get one guy, toast the rock 30 times a game and you impose your will. I hate it. I hate the back of my committee. And then um, <laughs> um, particularly now, because head coaches and offensive coordinators don't run the ball. So now one guy used to be lucky to get 20 carries. Now you're talking about 20, 22 carries amongst three guys. Yeah. Who's going to shine in that? I don't know. And then knowing that three and a half years of the lifetime of a running back, his shelf life, if he doesn't get a chance to prove himself, um, he's going to always be undervalued. And then therefore the, the, this position in itself is devalued. I hate it. So I say all that to say I hate it. That's great. I love that. <laughs> I, I love that you've got a passionate stance on it. So considering who they have in their backfield, who comes out on top and gets most of those touches? Yeah, you know, um, it actually depends on what McVay likes at the style. I, I'm, I'm not quite sure. You know, once he got when he got the keys to the to the to the Rams, you know, Ty was already there. He's already established. So I'd be really interested to see who he gives the starting job nod to. Now that would then tell me what kind of style of back he wants to execute in his offense. Um, I would, would assume Acres would be the guy being yeah. drafted, you know, um, second or third round, whichever one it was. Uh, he has the ability on film; his, his talent jumps out. But we all know once you get on Sundays, you start competing against people. You know, you recognize their name and their and their and their talents. Uh, that's a different beast, and you got to be able to show up. Uh, what do you expect out of the Rams this year? I mean, you could have three playoff teams in that division. Are the Rams the third? You know, they have a chance. Um, and what I, what I see out of them is this is a year that the quarterback, got to, he got to take over the team. He has to lead um, not only by example, but also in the stat sheets. It can no longer just be dink and doink. Uh, he has to put up points, and he has to do it because of his decision-making is on. Yeah. If not, if not, I don't think they are. They not. They just might be finishing fourth in the division. 
Um, just I think Arizona, um, they're deadly right now. They just extended Hopkins, so he's yeah. going to be – he's on board now. Um, you got Larry that's always Mr. Um, uh, he's reliable. He's yeah. a Hall of Famer for sure. And, and now the quarterback, he's second year, um, already in a system that he's comfortable with. I think, you know, he only grows from here. Yeah. Um, now speaking about the other team, San Francisco and Seattle, I, I think those two are the benchmarks. I think yeah. the, the titles between them two, I'm giving a nod to Russell. I, I don't see, Me too. Uh, Me too. yeah, I don't, yeah. Carol yeah. and Russell hard to beat. Um, so the Rams, man, I think they're, um, I hate to say it, nine and seven. Yeah, uh, eight, eight, you know, middle of the road beer, largely due to they're handing the keys to the QB and he has to show everybody that he could he can handle it. So much of their success is predicated on that zone scheme. And you need a really good back to make it pop. Their line has gone downhill. Uh, Todd had some health issues, but more than anything, if you can't set your play action up, you can't set the rollouts up, you can't set up some of the things you want to do down the field with that play action and that zone scheme, you're kind of fucked. And, uh, and they struggled with that last year. Well, that, yeah, they, they couldn't set it up. And then, as you also know, NFC West, all four teams, their defense are very stout. Yes. Um, all of them. I mean, from let's just start in Seattle. I think Bobby Wagner, one of the best linebackers in football. Yeah. Yep. Um, um, then you have, you know, you have Arizona, always get out to the ball carrier. That front seven, front eight, they always just tend to just – always bring the pressure and San Francisco um, with Bosa and that crew with Sherman, them they're complete. I think they're a complete defense. Yeah. So um, golf, man, not only golf has to, he has to progress, but also got to go to McVay two, three years ago. He was new as a head coach and in the NFC West. Now yeah. you have four years of tape on him. You now know how he studies and how he likes to play call plays, you know, on the side of the field, what he tends to lean towards. Yeah. All that has to be accounted for. And I think both, Golf and McVay have a lot to prove if they continue to want to be together. No doubt about it. Um, who do you think is the best defensive player in the division? Because as I looked at it, it was funny. I, each team has kind of a stud. And at first, I was going to pose the question, Jamal Adams, uh, Aaron Donald, uh, Chandler Jones, who people forget, and yeah. Nick Bosa would be my four. But you said Bobby Wagner. That's how good the defense is in this division. You forgot. I forgot Bobby Wagner, who's quietly one of the best players in the league. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, arguably defensive player of the year. If it wasn't for AD, you know, yeah. uh, Aaron Donald, yeah. I, I do think he's the best player, defensive player in the league. I do think he's the best in the division. Yeah. But to that point, every team possesses an elite defender that the quarterback has to account for. And I think that's why Russell Wilson always in my book, you're going to get the nod at QB in the NFC West. No doubt about it. It's like when, when all else fails, you got to, you got to give the tie break to the guy that every year accounts for nine wins on his own. They have neglected a lot of areas in that roster, including both sides of the ball up front, and just said, hey, we can win it with coverage on the back end. We can win it with Russ throwing to whoever, and uh, we're going to be in this thing. And they're not afraid of San Francisco. That's one team that was very evident last year. I just never get the feeling they're afraid of San Francisco, and I think San Francisco actually regresses. What do you think Todd Gurley does in Atlanta? Uh because he's one of these guys that, the beginning of his career, he's looking like he's a Hall of Famer. He's headed that way. But it's such a physical position, and he's had the knee stuff. Uh, do you think we'll see that Todd Gurley again, and could it be in Atlanta? Well, here I go again being, I'm going to be hard on coaching and, and, yeah. and upper management. 
I think Todd follows a lot of my shoes. And when I signed with Atlanta, they sold me and was under the idea of they wanted to be more grounded pound. They needed a tough identity in the run game. And the reason they need that is because defense in the NFC South, they're very stingy. And to get past those two, you got to have a tough running game. I think they, again, um, identify that. They need a tough ground and pound kind of guy. Todd doesn't do, you know, exactly the way I did it, but he yeah. has the he has the physical ability to do so. Yeah. So I go back to dirt cutter and that offense. Either you're going to stay four or five wide and air it out with Matt Ryan and Julio, or you're going to become more balanced. And if yeah. they don't become more balanced, they're going to just be reproducing the same scenario that I had, unfortunately, in my opinion. Yeah, and and on top of that, that defense is a big question mark in Atlanta. So you want you want to possess that football, and you know if you're going to be continually giving it back to those guys, and people are going to be throwing at those young corners and and uh, running the ball on those guys, it's going to be a problem. So I'm really hoping I'm hoping Todd gets a rebirth there. As, you know, I'm sure you share the sentiment. He's one of our favorites. Great dude. Well, I'll tell you what, yeah. we said it earlier. They'll take care of him. They'll yeah. give him. They make sure he's healthy. Yeah. So he'll be healthy on Sunday. It's a matter of how they use them. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, When you look back at the way this, and we touched on it earlier, with the trends in in devaluing the running back and running back by committee, uh, there's always that, hey, what is it, 28 years old, they say you're going to fall off the cliff. Is it 28? 28, 29, yeah. What the fuck is going on with Frank Gore? (laughs) Um, You know... He's just productive, man. I mean, he was in college. We're, I mean, we're almost the same age. I think he yeah. may be a little, whatever. But he was the same way at the U. Just grounded pound. I remember um, he came in the NFL year after me in 05. San Francisco drafted him. And there was concern about his knees. I'm like, <laughs> here we are 15, 16 years later. He's still just chugging away. I know. Um, I think it's. I think a thing – I think he's hit that stride in, in the middle of a workout. Have you ever um, – we all been there in the middle of workout. You either you get to that the euphoria, you know, yeah. you're like you always want to give up, or you just hit that point and you just can keep going. Yeah. I think he, he broke through that, right? Yeah. I hit that wall. I was like, fuck this. And he and he just kept going. And uh, I think that's what we're seeing. <laughs> I haven't been there lately. <laughs> Admittedly. Uh yeah, no, I wonder, like in your eyes, what are the keys to being, you know, having longevity as a player at, at that position? Because I'm sure some some guys who are really fast and a lot of their success is predicated on, you know, athleticism and burst, that's going to go away. So is Frank kind of that perfect guy to age in the NFL at that position? I think Frank is like um, Emmett Smith, right? Yeah. Um, he, yeah. never, he was never known to be overly fast or strong. So when those things start to diminish on a guy as he ages and that guy consistently just looked like himself, yeah. you know, I think that that – as a, somebody that is um, evaluating talent, is like, yo, Frank hasn't lost anything. He still looks the same. Right. Um, because he's smarter now than he was 15 years ago. But far as somebody like me, you know, you carry a pile of six people, and then four years later, it's like three people. People are like, oh, you know. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah. he's, only, throwing, he's only carrying three people. That, <laughs> that cape is only, you know, 300 pounds. I, yeah. Yeah, like, and there's another difference is, and this is why all this, this context and where you play matters is, you know, you and Frank's primes overlapped, and you guys had tremendous battles in, in division. Uh, I used to love playing those guys, and it was incredibly physical, but – he wasn't getting hit, you know, for four yards. I mean, he would break tackles when he was, but that was a big group. 
that was paving big gap scheme lanes for him. And you on the other side of it, as you mentioned, you're dragging Patrick Willis <laughs> as soon as you cross the line of scrimmage. I mean, those were a hard, you know, 75 yards at Candlestick was a tough 75 yards. 75 yards in Seattle was a tough 75 yards. Right. I mean, especially that year we had two overtime games with them, right? One, oh. ending, in, one ending in a tie and the other one, damn, they're a tie. Um, yeah. Like you said, I mean, we had some early battles that if you are a fan of tough defense and ground and pound kind of football, you know, that mid two thousands against the Seattle Seahawks and San Francisco 49ers or everything. Oh, yeah. I'll even go, I'll even go to early in your career when the Arizona Cardinals had a safety named Adrian Wilson. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I had some battles with him. So, I mean, it was some, some tough yards to get in St. Louis. Was, who was the toughest tackler that you, you found yourself one-on-one with a lot in division? It would be Adrian for yeah. me. You know, um, Patrick, I always bring him up as my – to me, Patrick was like um, my, the mirror of myself physique-wise. You know, yeah. we, we were almost the same height, same speed, same weight. Um, he was the mirror image of me. But when Adrian was coming down from like dropping out of the free zone, uh, out of the 12 yards and coming on the blitz, it was like, you got to bow up, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, he was a big fucking dude, man. What yeah. do you think he weighed? They had him in a program around 230, 240. You think that's a lie? I, I don't know, but I don't I don't know if I you know, it'd be times after the game. I'm like, damn, dude, did I do something to you in the all season? Like <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I mean, I love like, you know, some of those under the radar battles in division were awesome. And I've seen you and second level defenders just lock in on each other for years. And it, you usually got the best of them. But Adrian was a beast for sure. And people don't talk about him much anymore. Give me your top five backs right now in the NFL. Okay. Um, I got to go Zeke Elliott, one. Christian McCaffrey, two. Yeah. Alvin Kamara, three. Derrick Henry, four. Saquon, five. Is it lazy to compare you and Derrick? It is. Why? Size um, and his strength. I think a lot of people underestimate my elusiveness and my feet, my my, my um I had really good feet, um, very quick in and out of, in and out of like non-existent running gaps. I saw those, but I saw them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that get lost. Yeah. Um, I think that gets lost sometimes. Yeah. No doubt about it. I mean, it's, it's easy. Somebody said to me something about Derrick Henry re- recently. And although, you know, and this is no shade, at Derrick Henry, you got to do what Derrick Henry did for years on end, uh, you know, to be at your level. I, the the brute strength and the power though that people gawk at—that's what you had. I mean, you had that before Derrick Henry had that. But I agree with you. I think you 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 had those other elements to your game. Well, I got to yeah. tell you, I got to play against him. And I was old, so when I played against him, and I was running full speed in the background of those highlights that he was hurtling Eagles defenders and. Nothing more nerve-wracking than playing Saquon because you know you might end up on that big jumbo screen on the ESPYs at any time, and some of my teammates did. He was one of the best backs I've seen in my career, period. You know, like, immediately I felt that way. I like it, though. Kamara at three. You had yeah. CMC at two. Uh, and then your, your four so, was Derrick Henry. But to the point you were making about me and Derrick Henry is I always value longevity and productivity yeah. over anything. And I think Zeke has done that since the moment he's in the NFL. Yeah. He's been a thousand yard guy, I believe. Uh, he continued to do it at a high level. 
And I think uh, the NFC, um, the East, I think is a tough division. And uh, I just think he's the best back. I think think he's a complete guy. I think he gets it done year in, year out. He might not jump off the film like Christian McCaffrey with the moves and the highlights. But at the end of the day, he gets it done effectively. If you could uh, teleport back into the NFL right now at 23 years old, which scheme would you love to play in for which team right now? Oh, McVay. Let me see what it do. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see what – I mean, just to see, like you said, that Super Bowl year when the Rams went to the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Yeah. Those gaps, those running lanes that Todd was running through, I don't think I ever saw. And no, I would – you never did. I would love to have seen it, me in my prime with that, with McVay calling the plays, what that would have looked like. Because, you know, in 06, the year that I had, my breakout season went for uh, um, 2,400 or however many yards uh, all purpose. Um, that wasn't done with McVay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, no, no, no. no. What, yeah, what, what would that would have looked like? What was the team? You were picked 24, right, by the Rams in 04, was it? Yeah. Yes. What was the team that on draft day you were really close to joining? Um, so there was there was, uh, there was about three legit ones. Um, number 11, New England Patriots. Uh, me and uh, Bill, we spent a lot of time together in leading up to the draft. I really thought he was going to draft me at 11. Uh, they also had a 20, 20 or 21 pick as well. They had two first-round draft picks. So I, I had I had a a feeling that I thought uh, I was going to be a Patriot. Um, but what happened leading up the week of the draft, they traded for Corey Dillon. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that's what happened. So that kind of, that threw, threw that off. Um, at 16, you had the San Francisco 49ers. The reason I thought I was going there is because my um, college coach and who recruited me, Dennis Erickson was the head coach there. Um, wow. I forgot. About yeah. That. So two years of college ball, I played for him and I thought, you know, um, maybe that was going to be a landing spot. Yeah. And, and then the last spot I thought was going to be um, ultimately the Dallas Cowboys with Bill Parcells. Um, met with him and talked with them a lot. And he wanted me to drop into the 220s. I was playing around 230, 235. So for him to talk to me about dropping weight, I thought that was another place that I will probably land. Um, you know, draft days are crazy. Things unfold the way they do. Yeah. And I ended up in uh, St. Louis. Um, didn't get quite the wins, I hope, but I will say playing with the, you know, the end of the greatest show on turf. Yeah. Uh, I think that's what set me up to have a long career because I didn't learn how to prepare for, uh, to be a professional. Yeah. What do you think happens to you if you're dropped in there? I mean, you're still great, but if you're dropped in there in the middle of the shit storm that some of us were in the, you know, a little bit later in the 2000s, because it really is when you're a rookie and you walk into a situation like that, you're like, I don't know how to win. I don't know how to, you know, you got your vets, but they're all just pissed off to be there. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the vets that got there when you were there came from other organizations. Yes. Um, yes. There's no, so, there's yeah, no Rams so, way at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So I was actually like probably the flag bearer of that, um, the Rams way kind of thing. Yeah. I, I you know what? I think about that too, Chris. And I'm like, yo, if I would have went, let's say number six to Detroit in 04, they needed a running back at the time. Yeah. I don't know if I would have had a long career. You know, yeah. all season was spent in Las Vegas, and then you go to a losing uh, franchise. I don't know. Do I yeah. burn out early, you know, um, because, I mean, as young in my career, I was a partier. Or do you um, – or like you say, I had a chance to see that example from the Isaac Bruce, the Tory Holtz. They were amazing. 
I mean, yeah, I never and, got to play with Isaac, but Tori was great. Yeah. So, and then you get to see that example. So you realize this is how you prepare yourself. Um, you know, this is the expectation that you put on yourself and your teammates. And I'm fortunate for that. Yeah. yeah. Here's the, here's the mailbag. I got some good ones here. Uh, someone here asked biggest low point as a Ram. <laughs> this was for both of us. I guess, I guess for me, it's the head coach that drafted me being fired four games in, uh, the GMs leaving within the first year could be up there. Uh, having a position coach scream at the players in a meeting to bail him out after he makes a call that loses us the game, uh, as if it's not his fault. Uh, Sam Bradford getting hurt in Cleveland was a big one. Um, and that was right after you left, right? In 13, because you were there for the... Yeah, I was right after yeah. I left. So we thought we were going to be good that year. I mean, we were turning the corner. Our D-line was real good. You know, Fish had, had kind of breathed some life and toughness into us. Sam wasn't going to be a top five quarterback, but you know he had some ability, man. And, and, and he could, with the right run game and that sort of thing, we thought we were going to compete for a playoff spot. Jake Long gets beat in preseason. Uh, Sam gets rolled up on. And right there in that moment, you know, not only the season is over, but maybe one of your best friend's careers is over. And you know all the pressure that's on Sam. And, you know, you've been around Sam. He's a great dude, works his ass off. It's just he couldn't stay healthy. Yeah, yeah. And the thing about the injury bug, right, is no, nobody – that's the first thing I say. Nobody says, hey, I want to be hurt. Like, no. nobody goes out there and say, yeah, I want to get rolled up today. No, <laughs> no. Nobody. Just, I, I didn't have it on my calendar the two times. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, for me, the low point – I mean, I've had several. Um, <laughs> several. I guess, There's several. several. I would say the lowest point out. It's kind of a Sam Bradford story, but it's different. Before we drafted Sam, we went three and 13. Then a year prior to that, we went two and 14. Mm -hmm. I remember saying to myself, I always set uh, goals for myself in the, in February leading up to the new season. I go on vacation, I travel and I set these goals for myself. I'm like, yo, we only won five games in the last two seasons. There's absolutely no way we could get worse. Yeah. And how do we get worse, Chris? <laughs> we got, we got, we went one in 15, right? <laughs> yeah. So in three years, I won six games and I remember having back surgery and we just drafted Sam and I called him from the hospital bed. He, nobody knows this. I called him from the hospital bed to congratulate him. Welcome to the team. And a bit of it was, I didn't know if I was lying to him, bro. Like, I didn't know. I was like, yeah. Yo, like my back's fucked up and I'm calling him like, welcome to the team. Um, in scrubs in the, in the hospital yeah. bed. Hey, it's going to be a great year. Can't wait for you to get here. We really got this thing turning around. You're going to love it. Yeah, man. I was, I felt pretty low in that moment. <laughs> yeah, it sucked. I remember shit. I remember a t being on a two and 14 team, my contract year and shooting up my ankle every week just to try to go get that next contract. It's just people that don't understand what it's like being on a bad team, it totally changes the dynamic of your career. Yeah. I mean, it just totally changes it. And we could go on for days about the dysfunction. I had Dan Orlovsky on the other day, uh, and he told some great stories about his lowest Detroit moments, one being the OC falling asleep in the booth and not getting the call in. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I can't remember one that bad in St. Louis, but I'm sure if we dug, we could find some. I've seen this before you got there. I've 05, my second year, I've I had a running back coach and an OC fist fight. 
during 907. Like I'm running a play and you see in the background, Chris, you know how you do it? No. <laughs> no. Like, I like promise you. did they connect? I promise you. Did they connect their throwing oh, hands? Oh yeah, he popped. Oh yeah. It was, I don't, I don't to throw him under the bus. No. <laughs> you don't have to say who won. Oh, the running back coach popped the OC, and the OC was done. He was done for the rest of practice. He just couldn't get past it. <laughs> How do you like? That's a hell of a place to get you know uh, shown up. Yeah, he kept blaming time. the full. He kept blaming the fullback on a responsibility, and it wasn't. It was like one of those. Um, you know how you show boot and the DN crashes on the like the fullback. Yeah, dive. yeah, to hit to hit the dive. Yeah, and the full and the DN kept doing it, and the OC kept blaming the fullback for not doing something. Yeah, man, it was ugly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd hate to be in that coach's meeting room later. Um, but that's the way things are on bad teams. Shit runs downhill. Everybody points the finger and blames each other. It happens in the NFL everywhere, but it's really bad there. It is one I was curious about. And somebody asked some form of this question. You and me, we've been all over the world. I've seen you in settings like, you know, I've come to your art shows. We've climbed the mountain together. You've supported me at charity events. You're one of the most humble, loving, smiling dudes off the field. On the field, you're a fucking psychopath. How did you flip that switch? Was that a process? Yeah, it was. It was a process leading up to getting to that... Um, I always called it like my dark Vader. Um, yeah, it was, it was like, yeah, it was a lead up to that, but, um, I'm still working, unpacking that because I'm, I'm working on writing a book to talk about, to talk about, you know, playing with playing through some of the seasons that I had to endure and, um, and doing so I tapped into a, a place that, um, I, I just, whatever I was going through, I packed it up for Sunday. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it was like, yo, um, it could be like the offensive head. I mean, let's just say the head coach. I don't like him. Right. Yeah. Officer coordinator. He only sees me as a big back. He only wanted to use me for power and inside zone. Right. It's like yeah. all those frustrations packed in and it was gunpowder. And then on Sunday, it was like, yo, fuck you. Bam. Right. It was just yeah. like that. But it was more of a statement to like what I was going through, getting it out. Um, then, you know, return to normalcy on Monday because in everyday life, you know, the normalcy of conducting myself as a human and as a leader of my family, I understood, I understood work was work and everything else needed to be taken care of with uh, intelligence. One Ram who could have been better if it weren't for the shit show. Like a guy that fans might not have heard of that just got ate up in that whole hell storm. You didn't get a chance to meet him. Um, but, uh, his story is, um, is highlighted, uh, Anthony Hargrove. Yeah. Defensive end. Yeah. yeah defensive end, North Carolina. He's my draft class. Oh, four. One of the most freakish defensive ends. One of the most, he's probably like the Von Miller. Um, he had Joe motor, Chris, yeah. um, but shorter kind of guy. Yeah. But he was, he was that tweener, right? It was like the NFL was making that tween kind of to that what we now see in Vaughn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, he was that. I had never seen that. I didn't see that in Oregon State. I didn't see it in the Pac-10. Um, 10 then, 12 now. Yeah. Um, unbelievable. But the lifestyle. And he lived a lifestyle and then you didn't have an organization that was prepared to support him through it. Yeah, um, yeah he, got, he, got killed in the, he got killed in that organization, unfortunately. 
And I think he could have been a Hall of Famer. He had the that's, talent. That's so. unbelievable. And I, the things I heard about him was talent, but also somebody who struggled with that transition. Just yeah. period. I mean, it, it was he needed more help than just, hey, see you tomorrow morning. Yep. You know what I mean? This is from Rudy, 5-O-H. Uh, opinions on how the, the Rams handled y'all's releases. The year that Jeff got there, I had actually asked for a meeting with him before training camp. And I was very blunt. I'm like, yo, either um, I want to, I want an extension. I was going into my last year. I was like, either I want an extension or I want to be released. And, um, you know, he asked me to, you know, give a year. Let's work together. Um, I mean, the conversation is a lot longer, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. he's asking me for another year. Let's see how we work together. And at that point, um, he was number seven, you know, I'm counting interim head coaches, but he was my seventh coach in nine years. Yeah. I had just got tired of having to prove myself um, to head coaches and coaching staffs. So I wanted to be released, get to December. Um, we, I mean, we almost made the playoffs that year. Um, we, we, we had a working relationship, but I think we both realized that um, the Rams were not going to be in a, in a position to win a Super Bowl within the next year or two. Yes, yeah. and I wish you would have told me. <laughs> and we had a, and <laughs> I also had a conversation with, um, with Kevin in yeah. a demo, you know, and it was just more so me saying, Hey, I'm going to be 29 next year. I'll be 30. Actually, I'll be 30 next year before I get that, that extra stink on me, you know, yeah. you know, let's, let's part ways. And we had that conversation in January and then, you know, that I already knew in February before the league starts in March, I already knew I was going to be a free agent. So, uh, for me, it was more of, at least showed me that they respected, you know, my body of work. Yeah. Uh, so that, that wasn't a low point for me either. Somebody asked CPM McGee says things we miss most in St. Louis. I guess I'm going to take this as anything, but I got two bars on here. Uh, Kruger's, which was one of the best dive bars ever. That was right under the bridge there. Did you ever come to see me at Kruger's? Did we, did yep, we burn yep, it down? I, we burn it did. down it. And, <laughs> and we were out, I was out there with Morris last year with Mo, our guy, shout out to yep. Mo. Last year when I went back for the Stanley Cup, Kruger's one of the best dive bars in America, right under the bridge, right there on Forsyth, below Clayton, between Clayton and University City. Also Cicero's. Cicero's. Cicero's in the loop. The loop was awesome. Yeah. And they, I guess Cicero's isn't there anymore or something, but they had some great kind of divey spots. Uh, and obviously Pepper Lounge was big for us for a long time. Right. Forest Park, I love the park. Uh, right. You know, like it was an underrated place, but the problem was we lived in Earth City. And so yeah. it gives you this different idea about St. Louis and what it really is. I think if you lived in St. Louis and you had your pick of where you could live, it's one of the best cities in the country. And I lived further. I lived in St. Peter's. So, um, yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. So for all you Missourians, you know exactly. I was out there. Yeah. Uh, for me, I lo all those spots I have to put on my list. But uh, I also add um, um, uh, the Hill um, yeah. and uh, South City. I think um, there are some good dive spots, some good eats uh, um, in in the city too, out that way. I should have got there more. Yeah, man. So being there for so long, after a while, man, you know, after you. About four years in, I started exploring because he was doing the same thing every Sunday got born in me. And then yeah. I just started exploring the city. Yeah. And me being into photography, if anything, I hit behind the lens, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, it allowed for me to explore the city and for me to meet meet people in different interests. Um, but St. Louis, in general, what I most 
miss the most, I think, is the seasons, man. Being from the desert, as you alluded to, I didn't I didn't grow up with fall. I didn't grow up with spring. Yeah. And you see the change of season to have snow in the winter. Um, I miss that. See, I do. I, see, I'm from Virginia, and those the fall and the spring in St. Louis seemed short to me. <laughs> to me, it went straight from, <laughs> yeah, you're right, being from where you are, just to see yeah. some leaves on the trees and that sort of thing. What about, don't forget Tawny now. Oh, Tawny. Yeah, yeah, but we closed. We closed. Yeah, Tawny closed? Yeah. Oh, man. that They had the James Laronitis role and everything there. So yeah. <laughs> shout out to the people who used to run Tawny. Um, greatest memories as a teammate. I was racking my brain for moments that we were out on the field like, yeah. <laughs> but I just couldn't think of any. I mean, I loved watching you play, and I know we had fun, and our primes overlapped just a, a year or two um in st louis but i guess it would for me it was going to killy like doing mount kilimanjaro together i mean being teammates after football for for my water boys deal that was to have a former teammate that i looked at as a big brother to hit me up and be like yeah i'm coming to africa with you this year and i'm excited about it and then me showing you the mountain it was cool because i got to be the vet <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and seeing you climb that mountain. So that was that was probably my favorite teammate memory. I would say for me, um, I saw you coming in, right? And I saw the expectations on you, not yeah. only because where you were picked, because of your last name. Yeah. Um, to see you, you reminded me a lot of another favorite, another favorite of mine, uh, J.D. Washington. Right. When when you have teammates that have famous fathers in their own right, it's uh, I watched them particularly close. And both both of you, and and more you, and and talking about you directly, yeah. your work ethic, um, uh, and your style. It was always not imitated. It was Chris, right? Yeah. I mean, Chris was one of the first people that cut his sweats. Um, yeah, his he's a trendsetter. He, he was a trendsetter. Yes. Yeah, you cut your sweats. He made them shorts and things like that. Your energy to be drafted so high and have a, a name uh, um, long, and your dad. You came in very humble, working your ass off on a team that sucked. Um, those things showed me that not only as a vet, um, it showed me that the organization was selecting guys that I didn't mind being teammates with. Right. Because there are some teammates that I had. I was like, what, the, what are we doing here? What like, are we doing? What are we doing yeah. here? Yeah. So I was, I, was, I was proud of you just to see the way you carried yourself. But I always fond of you because you are always a trendsetter. And – from the practical jokes to yeah, how you, some good jokes. To you curated your, your friendships, right? Yeah. You will have guys from different positions, different backgrounds all together. Yeah. And that's big, man. That's big because a lot of teams don't do that. Well, you know, I was thinking about was I needed my Rolodex for the green light pod to be huge by the time I launched the podcast. So I was having as many friends as I could and just set myself <laughs> up for my second career. No, I mean, you know, you know what? And, and the vets were cooler than they could have been because, like I said, we had a room full of guys that were, if I was in my 11th, 12th year playing for the St. Louis Rams in 2008, 2009, I wouldn't have been real cool to rookies. I mean, yeah. I'm, I think I'd like to think I would have been, but, you know, James Hall, Leonard Little, you know, Fred Robbins when he came around later, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting a ton of guys, but – there were, you know, Tory Holt, these legends, these guys that played so long and could have easily been very, you know, asshole to me, were cool. And, and I, I thought that was cool. I mean, including yourself. So shout out to the, uh, I, I've always said this, and this would be really interesting. And you can set it up, actually, geographically. 
we should do an open invite if you were on the Rams and we pick the leanest years, whether 2007 to 2011, those four yep. really bad years. And we say, if you were on those four, you know, those rosters four years, we're doing a big thing in Vegas when COVID ends. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> we'll get Alex Barrett out there. Oh, we we'll get, deserve it. We'll get Cliff out there. We'll get the whole gang, man. So, yeah. I like that idea, Chris. Good. We Good. deserve it. Good. Let's do it. <laughs> I'll leave you on this one, man. Um, and I, I sat here and I'm like, I've never asked you this directly. I think you know where I stand on your career. Are you a Hall of Famer? I wrestle with that question. I don't know what it is anymore because if it's based off one individual um, accomplishments, yes. If it's based off his accomplishment and what teams he's been on and coaching staff and blah, 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 no. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but see, that's where I think it's fucked up. Yeah. I yeah. think that maybe Hall of Fame, people should look at it more, and it's, it is the collection of the world's greatest players, a lot of them, but maybe people should pay attention to the last word in Hall of Fame a little bit more yeah. than they do. You know, like, because... I look at your career, and you know I wouldn't bullshit you. I wouldn't ask you the question if I didn't think this. I mean, like, mm -hmm. and I'm no historian, but for you to do what you did in those years and the context surrounding it, you deserve a, a gold jacket. And I don't know if you think about that a lot. You're a humble dude. Um, I know you, you're not, like, about yourself, but that would be something that was on my brain, and I was just curious. I would say this, you know, I, um... If I die and it doesn't happen, does it make me um, bitter? No. But um, if it does happen, it, it, to me, it would mean that um, the hard work was identified and recognized. Yeah. Well, I hope it is. And if it is, yeah. uh, my possibly old ass will be sitting there <laughs> in the front row uh, with a solid buzz on. So just make yeah. sure you get me one of those seats in the first couple rows, at least so they put me on camera. Hey, I know Steven. Yeah, just do that for me, all right? Absolutely, but before that even happens, uh, well, I don't know. I don't know before it happens, but I definitely want to hike Killy again, and I want to do it with my sons, though. Good, uh, let's do it. No, I mean, yeah. I've been saying yeah. the same thing. I really appreciate uh, my former teammate, one of the all-time greats, uh, people and football player, uh, Steven Jackson, joining us, and and I uh, hope you come back soon this fall. It sounds like you're going to be busy, though. I am, man, but anytime. Willing to come back anytime. Let's recap. It. I'd love to have you, man. A one time on um, Let's go, man. Let's go. Yeah. Friends and family, uh friends and family deal between you and me. So anytime you need me on, man, just holler at me. Appreciate it, All man. Right. Thank you, man.